The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast. Brought to you by Elecraft. Now, here's your host, Kel Nelson, K4CDN. All right, welcome into the Day 2 Hamvention 2017 follow-up review podcast. I'm K4CDN, Kel Nelson, here with George Zephyropoulos, who I said his last you name. You said it correctly. I did. Was that right? That was, that right. was awesome. That was, that was like the first time in you months. You said it like you've been saying it forever. Well, George, think, welcome. It's nice to be back, Kale. <laughs> Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy, thanks yeah, for being here again, man. I, I try. We uh, we are here. We actually got a room to record this in. It's nice. It's very the, professional, actually. Yes, yeah. I like it. We are doing a square table, not a round table. And we have a live audience. It's a rectangle. Yeah, we have a live audience tonight with us. Chris yeah. is over there. Chris is over there. Yeah. So we uh, just finished up supper, which means we have to hurry up and get the show knocked together before we try to go to bed tonight. Second day of Hamvention 2017. George, you weren't here last night, so we didn't get any of your initial reaction. Uh, give us a little taste of what's been going on for you this weekend and some, some reaction from you. Well, at Hamvention, it's really busy as usual. It was interesting to see it at a new location. You know, the... The show has been at Hera forever, since the beginning, practically the beginning of time. <laughs> and I'm used to going over there, and so I was a little uh, concerned about what it would be like at the new venue and uh, what the traffic would be like and what everything looked like. And uh, i, I got to tell you, actually, I, I think considering how much the Dara guys put into trying to make this uh, happen, I think they did a really fine job. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't perfect. It couldn't possibly be. But I think they really pulled it together. I, I really liked the big um, rooms, the big venue areas for all yeah, the vendors. Me too. I thought that was great, much better. The aisles were wider. I think it was easier for people to get around. The turnout was really good. So uh, for a first time at a new location, I thought they did a great job. So yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Very good. And we're tickled to have you with us tonight. Yeah, we missed you last night. Well, I was you know, busy back editing the yeah. interviews and uploading all that stuff. And you made so. it easy. Thank you. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> yeah, all one file. That was nice. Yeah, that was really Here we're going to have I, George, I, and we'll have Jeremy in a little while. I didn't even <laughs> listen to it. Yeah. Neither did I. He was like, here, here's George. <laughs> I was like, okay, how are you done yet? So, Jeremy, uh, day two, you had a really cool interview. We'll talk, probably talk about that in a few minutes. I had a lot of you cool You had a lot interviews. of cool interviews with people. Um, it was still busy today, though. I mean, you were in the booth some more today than you were yesterday, no, but you I, were gone more, it felt like. I think it was the other way around. Really? So um, I was also more productive. So this morning we got there about 6 o'clock, uh, got into the building about 6.45, and I pretty much from that point on, I set my stuff down, got organized, I got my recording gear, and I booked it. I immediately went to go hit some people that I really wanted to talk to, um, I can't actually, I'm so tired. I can't even tell you how many interviews I got. We'll find out <laughs> a lot. You, you listeners. You'll find out here in a minute. Um, a couple comments about it this year. We had some more in depth conversations with the folks that we did talk to than normal. You know, it used to be, we get two, three minute soundbite from folks, but we actually uh, had some really in depth conversations. Also, one thing that's really different this year for us, we didn't actually spend any time with any of the big vendors. Yeah. We didn't get Kenwood. We didn't get ICOM. We didn't get Yesu. Uh, we didn't get uh, even Elecraft because these folks were just busy. We were busy. Yes, we were. So I made uh, and George made some very tactical calls on to try to talk to some new folks, try to go in depth on some folks that we've had on before on topics that we definitely wanted to uh, 
to go a little in depth on. Uh, had a, have a couple surprises in there that are good, mm-hmm. good surprises. And uh, overall, like I said, the, the show coverage this time is a lot different. And I, I'm leaving here uh, with a laundry list of things that we can do to improve our performance next year. Not to say we did bad. Because most importantly, we were there for the listeners in the booth. With the exception of the forum, it was 100% coverage at any given time. There were at least two of us. We had a lot of friends along with us helping uh, manage things. We sold a ton of boards, uh, a ton of pack ten of gear. And, uh, I mean, I th- to echo what you said, I think things went great. Our uh, the, the gain in listenership that we've had since last year was yeah. definitely evident. Yes. And... It's because of that we wanted to spend time talking to folks and listening and giving advice. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a really good show. Hey, I want to comment on something you, you said. We didn't get a chance to talk to the, the, the biggest vendors. And, of course, everybody wants to know what's hot at the big vendors. That's kind of the, the big mainstream stuff. But, frankly, the, the guys we did talk to who were the not big vendors or the organizations that were doing interesting uh, open source projects or, or public service uh, activities, you know, in a way, that's it's kind of more important because the broad audience doesn't really know all those guys, right. all those little companies that are doing very innovative new products that's going to be a next generation of cool stuff. Everybody knows the big vendors, but they don't know all the small vendors. And there were some from other countries that were here that we would have otherwise never heard from. So in a way, it kind of worked out, uh, you know, in retrospect, pretty well because we got a lot of great coverage of these smaller, smaller guys. Yeah, one of the I had a really cool story. Do you guys want to hear a really cool story? Sure. Yeah, I'll make it quick. But sure. It's a really cool. Absolutely. This blew me out of the water. Standing there today in the middle of just a crazy amount of people, there was a couple, a man and a woman, came up kind of in a second row of people behind the folks standing at our table. And they caught my attention, and the guy kind of waved, and then the wife kind of waved, and I waved back, and they said, "Hey, thank you for telling us about, thank you for telling us about the ginger ale." I, I heard that. Yeah. So the wheels start turning, ginger ale, and the guy's like, "Yeah, the Blenheim's ginger ale. They make it in South Carolina, right?" And I'm like, "When did I ginger ale?" I'm in Ohio. Are you supposed to talk about cheer wine anyway? <clears throat> no, in moon pies, right? So it, I remembered what happened. Um, it wasn't long after Hamvention last year. Maybe, well, maybe it was in the fall, a little bit you know, cooler weather. But I was on our local repeater in Spartanburg driving from town just listening. And there were two different operators conversing with one another. And, and one who was from out, not, from out of town was trying to tell another guy from out of town how to get to where he was. And I let him go for a few minutes. And I took the opportunity to, to just throw my call in, break the call, and say, hey, can I help you get there? And sure, yeah. And I said, hey. When you finally get there, and I helped them get to the point, and I said, when you get there, you've got to try this ginger ale. We make it in South Carolina. It's out of this world. It's the most different, unique drink you'll ever have. So the, the lady, and he said, well, my wife loved ginger ale, and that was the last I ever heard of these folks. And I, I want to say it was a nine call, but, I mean, that was almost a year ago. And I had all, I even forgotten it. These folks came to Hamvention for whatever reason, walked by and saw our booth, and I guess maybe heard the voice and recognized it potentially. I don't know. But apparently they knew who I was. And never seen these people ever. Just talked to them on the radio one time over a repeater. And they were saying, thank you so much for telling us about the ginger ale. We found a place that we can actually import it. So they're, they're getting it in from their in-laws. But that was 
that right there just shows you how big this hobby is. We talk about it all the time. You know, oh, well, you can build stuff, and oh, you can talk to the moon, and blah, blah. But the people connection, Jeremy was talking about how it, gr- it grew from last year to this year, which was unbelievable. But just to have someone like that that you spoke to on a repeater that remembered, you know, oh, that's the podcast guy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm really not sure if they're listeners. But they walked over there to say thank you for telling us about. So next drill. year you, you have to bring some of that ginger ale up to him. You can't. You can't take it, George. It'll mess you up, bro. <laughs> it is the best stuff. Got to try it. It is hot ginger ale. What? It's made with. It's hot ginger ale like made with hot. spring water. Yeah, it's just really unique. I'll send y'all some. But that that was my, that was the weirdest thing happened to me the entire entire weekend. So I hope you guys like my story. I mean, I didn't get to go out and do interviews, so I had somebody tell me about their ginger ale. But it was really cool. It just goes to show you the power. Of this medium. Well, one thing that I really loved was um, kind of going down that line is is this year standing in the booth, we had so many people came that came by that were listeners. Now, right. of course, we had a bunch that weren't, you know, and some of them, were, I don't even know why they came there because they're like, <laughs> are you a listener to the podcast? What's a po- what podcast? Yeah, what's the podcast? <laughs> what's the podcast? You know, you're like, well, let me tell you. So I'm not sure why they're, they're there to begin with, but uh, so many people that came by were were listeners and were motivated because of something they heard on one of the shows yeah. to try something new, uh, to dig into some new area. And, and that's really gratifying. I mean, that's like the big, the big payoff for oh, us yeah, really is to, is to have that. And there's a couple of guys who have been on the Facebook page and asked some questions were very, you know, enthusiastic about something we did and for them to come by and like give you the big handshake and Hey, thanks a bunch. It's like, Wow, you get sort of thanked for doing something you like to do. Yeah. So this is awesome. Uh, but really, the the listeners were just great. They were so so excited to have seen every one of you. Thank you all for coming out. Absolutely. The other big thing today was the forum. Yes, that went really good. I thought it did. And we had a, a room full of people. Yeah, there was. I, I counted not a prob- room full of like people. between probably 130 and 150. Uh, what was actually really nice is if every, we asked the question at one point, how many of you are listeners? And if everybody had raised their hand, I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, what was actually a nice surprise, I'd say probably only about 40% of the room or so, maybe 50% of the room raised their hand on that fact. Because the other guys were tired and they're yeah. looking for air conditioning in a chair. I remember I asked a question. I said, how many no-code hams are there in the room? And I, people lift their hands. I said, leave your hands up. And then I said, how many people are proud of that? And then more hands went up than had gone under the original question. Um, and then what was the third question that you asked? I actually don't remember. You asked how many of you that didn't have to learn code oh, now want, want to, to learn, learn code. code. Actually, and every hand in the room went that up. That was the question that, yes. that more hands went up on. And, and a round of applause, I would It was. It that. was a really cool, really cool moment. Um, so actually, uh, because we will be uh, recuperating from Hamvention Hangover yes. the next couple of days, uh, our forum presentation will be the Workbench episode this week. Uh, there may be something else or two put in there. I'm making zero promises because I don't know what list my wife is going to have for me yeah. when I get home, which actually, let, let's take a minute and talk about that. I have to sincerely thank my wife for letting me get out of the house you know, for effectively four days to leave her be. I got a string of angry text messages last night because she said, why is it that every time you leave, the baby stays up all night? I literally got a text message from her at four o'clock in the morning saying that your one and a half year old son and I are sitting on the couch watching Futurama. (laughs) (laughs) To which you replied. (laughs) I'm sure that went down well. (laughs) Well, I was asleep. It was 430. It was time for us to get up. (laughs) (laughs) That's why the alarm clock didn't go off. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of gratitude to be paid. Uh, our listeners, our audience who couldn't come, those who were here, uh, our friends who came along 
We had a lot of help in the booth. I miss John Pugliano. We had great help. Mm-hmm. John John uh, messaged me earlier. The funny thing about that is three or four people ask me today where John Pugliano was. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I, nice. bet you, I bet you told me he's yeah. out making money. I'm like, he's going to listen to this he, podcast. He came out to Bacon. Yeah. He made it out there and physically there, showed up. That's cool. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, John, John was a big help last year. Maybe we'll get him back next year. Yeah. Not that we didn't have some great help, but I, do, I wanted to acknowledge that people were looking for him, which is really cool. So that that's uh, he's kind of a an, uh, an unofficial member of the extended, he, uh, of the, the Ham Radio three hundred and sixty Mafia yeah. <laughs> or Posse or the crew. So uh, you know, before we get into the episodes, it's funny. I'm sitting here right now. We're we're not really going back tomorrow. We might make a very short appearance to tie up a couple loose ends, but. Uh, for the most part, we're done. We we un- unpacked the booth. We actually got locked in our hall this evening, and the guy was like literally running around locking all the doors and then just shut the lights off on us, and we were the only ones in there. So we were packing up our stuff and moving around with the lights from our iPhones. Yep. Android and, uh, phones. Cell phones. And, uh, you know, what? it's interesting because I only made it out into the the big flea market the first day when nothing was set up. I never made it out there. I there there were ignoring the tent uh, building six made it out there a few times. We were in one was around there a lot. Two and three. It, it's really weird leaving Hambenchen and somebody saying where's so and so and I can't tell you. I could tell you where they were at Hera. Yeah. But uh, you know, as as we're looking back before we get into these interviews, what is I don't know. I don't want to say what's something. Well, maybe that is the question. What's something that you regret you didn't get the chance to do or didn't get the chance to see? Or, or, or the nicer way is, what do you wish you could have done that you didn't get the chance to while we were here? Well, for me personally, I wound up spending a lot of time in the booth because this year we had all these build project boards. And so there's a whole other layer of interest of people coming by and something to explain. Mm-hmm. So here's the antenna analyzer and all the other stuff. So there was so many people with so much time spent doing that, I didn't get as much time out doing interviews as I would have liked. So just doing that would have been, would have been better. I never made it to the, to the flea market area at all. I didn't even make it to Building 5. There was a Building 5. There I was a Building 5, yes. Actually, I, I, yeah, that's, that's where Linux and the hand check was. I never made it back there. I would have loved to have gone out there and seen those guys. So, yeah, that, that was a miss. So there's, uh, there's a lot I didn't see even having been here for multiple days. Uh, you know, I didn't get to see probably half of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, to that point, we should congratulate Cheryl. She got yes, her tech. She did. Pass oh, her awesome! Tech. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Good job, girl. I uh, I can't say that I necessarily have any regrets from the show. Uh, my primary reason for being here is to be there in the booth, to to talk and to meet and to enjoy face to face conversations with our you know with the relationships we built. That doesn't mean that there weren't things I probably would have got a kick out of seeing or participating in or something like that. But it even felt odd for me to be in the forum when I knew that the booth was sitting there all alone. So, you know, it's 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 like your baby and you want to take care of it. And that's how I view our audience. I just want to be there to be able to provide that service, that connectivity, that interaction. So I, I really I'm sure there were just tons of cool things and I'll listen to these interviews and wish I had seen some of it possibly. But uh I, I really can't say that there's anything I missed. Except those who didn't make the sh- you know make the trip this time, so make the show. I um, I don't know. I think I think everything went good. Again, want to give another shout out uh, to our friends at Airspy.us because yeah. I mean they I mean quite literally they made Dayton for us. Yeah, if it wasn't for them, it would have been a really 
difficult situation for us. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think our spot was you know practically declared unsellable. Um, Did you explain the situation? Yeah, we talked. Yeah, we about talked it. a little bit we'll about probably it. Probably talk a little more the, about it later. Probably at a later yeah. date, we'll probably cover that again. You know, and, and one of the things about that is, uh, I think it's really cool that I, <laughs> I got to uh, to kind of get to know uh, Jack Herbs, the vice chair. I saw him every single morning. You know, he gave. He actually he gave was one of my very first interviews this morning, and uh, you know, we asked him a couple of questions about some some things that you know how things go that they weren't expecting, et cetera. But I mean, I really do want to say in this. At this point, I'm tired enough. The filter's gone. I, yeah, there were some challenges. But by middle of the day on Friday, I, things were just running pretty good. Food was amazing. We've heard this all, right? The food was amazing. That was, that was surprisingly good. Food was great. The crowds were very lighthearted. I mean, honestly, and I say this like they were talking and cheerful, and I know this sounds silly, but walking the halls at Hera, there were sometimes you'd be behind a ham who's had his license for 60 years and you could tell he's made that walk every time for the last 57 years and he's almost just doing it but i mean it was people were were thrown out of their zone they had to go explore right. it was it was pretty cool new territory for everybody and i think that uh the dara folks did a great job with that and i think that the 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 vendors and the uh, the amateurs that were there did a great job all just working together because i mean it's hamvention and if you're listening and you really don't understand what the big deal is, until you come, you won't. I promise, with all sincerity, you just won't understand. But there was a there was a very special vibe this weekend, and people wanted it to work. That's really what it was. People had a desire to see it work. I know there's some tools out there who really just wanted to fail and you know burn. But well, that there's people that pitched in. I mean, let, I mean, the AirSpy guys they didn't, they didn't yeah. have to help us. No. But they kind of went out of their way to make it work. And if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have had such a great spot. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of other stories like that that people kind of pulled together. Oh, yeah. I think the town um, came out in mass <laughs> to support the event. Of course, they're excited to have such a big event right. uh, in that location. So I think that uh, the logistics around all that and the parking and all well, the transportation was good. You know, a big deal for that town. Yeah. So, well, let's, um, I'm sure they're tired of us. Do you have anything else you want to, either one of you want to tell us in before we go? A uh, big, huge honking thank you. Uh, I mean, even though we, we didn't directly ask folks for money this year, if they weren't listening, we still wouldn't have been able to pay exactly. for this. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys continue to send us here by listening. You guys continue to, to make the show what it is because of the feedback and support. And there are some of you who are just very warm and, and open, and uh, I'm very thankful for all of you. So that's, that's it. That's what I want to end with. So I'll, I'll just throw out, I'll throw out the commercial plug, which is uh, to explicitly thank our sponsors because they were a big part of making this happen. We yep. couldn't do it in as big a way as we did without them. So uh, Autodesk and the Eagle Products and Elacraft and MTC Radio and um, who am I forgetting? AirSpy. Yes. Now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, without those guys, this, this wouldn't, have, wouldn't have happened. So uh, big thanks to those guys. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we did have some great help from our friends from California and from South Carolina. That was awesome. Uh, there were other listeners who chipped in real big. Dave Riggin came in big today with his antenna analyzer, and he prepared some stuff for us to use there as selling tools. And, you know, it was just it was great all the way around. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be here. Uh, safe travels for everybody. And um, we'll be back Tuesday. With the workbench show, with the forum, yep. and uh, the following week, he he doesn't necessarily know it all the way yet. But Chris 
KN4BDQ will be my special guest. You should see what he's giving you right now. It's beautiful. He's our, our producer here. Yeah, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna share with us his a first timer's experience at at Hamvention. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. Chris is a, a budding podcaster, so we're gonna make some, have some fun with that. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to us ramble, and we're gonna get on into the reviews and the interviews. And we'll see you in just a couple of days. Thank you, guys. 73, y'all. Thank you, 73. 73 is all. Friends of the show, comes to go at comes2go.com. Standing here with John Jacobs, W7DBO, all the way from Utah. You guys, first showing in Dayton. Yes, this is a, we're excited for this. We did a hamcation in Orlando, and we're here at Dayton, so we're at the big show. So earlier we talked uh, with Kevin from BioNO. I know you guys have been doing some work with them. But before we get to that, why don't you tell us about your products? So what we do is we do a custom uh, build product. So if someone wants a custom radio box, a battery box, uh, we customize it for them. We put their call sign on it. Uh, We kind of make it their unique product. And then also we do components. So if someone wants to build their own box, we can print their plates, 3D printed, and uh, let them do the build, and we just help them out with accessories. All right, so what are some of the products that you guys stock regularly on your website? So we have a, our battery line, either 12 amp hour all the way up to 40 amp hour uh, uh, battery boxes. And then uh, we have small radio boxes, big radio boxes. What we want to do is if you already own your radio, uh, you get to put the radio in it yourself or we put it in for you. So we're not selling the radios, but we want to build something around you so you can take your radio on the road. As I mentioned, BioNO said that you guys have started partnering up. What's exciting is your initial boxes generally came with lead-acid batteries, and now you guys are authoring bioeno lithium iron phosphate batteries, correct? Yeah, so we, if they still want the SLAs, we'll put them in, but we, we're really enjoying our partnership with Bioeno Power. We have their charge controllers now inside a rugged box. We put the batteries in the boxes, and it's a, it's a great partnership and a great uh, chance to get better batteries. All right, so what do you think of Hamvention as your first year? This is uh, overwhelming and amazing, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that they're able to pull this off in such a short time and get the new venue. Yes, we are in the tent that you guys bailed out of, <laughs> but it, it's, it's working out, and, and we're really enjoying just seeing the crowd and, of course, just seeing Ham Radio 360 guys. We get a lot of fans that come up and say they enjoy the show, and so it's, it's, a, it's a great homecoming, even though you don't even know any of the people yet. Well, in our defense, we did have a mudslide through our booth, so... Yeah, we just had the short rain that came in, and uh, we started lifting electrical off the floor. But, but it's a it's a growing thing, and, and it's a it's a great opportunity to, for everybody to come together. And I appreciate uh, the Dayton guys being consistent and building this for us. So, what are you guys looking to do to extend your capabilities and your products this year? So, what we did is we also partnered up with uh, Signal Stuff, which is an antenna company, and they have the super elastic antenna, and that's a great portable handheld antenna for either dual band or two twenty. Uh, it's indestructible, and the best thing is, a, I say indestructible, because if you do destroy it, you get a free one, and it's a lifetime guarantee on the antennas. Uh, it's, it's pulled me out of a hold by putting this on and uh, calling for help when I sunk my ATV one year. Uh, so Wait, 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 wait. Did you say sunk? I went into what I thought was a three-inch uh, hole of water with my ATV, and it turned out to be a four-foot hole. So literally, my ATV was floating. I was up in the high UNs of Utah. I had my regular antenna on. I tried calling my dad at base. Couldn't get a hold of him. Uh, started walking up, still couldn't a hold of him. Pulled the s- signal stick out of my go bag and uh, came right on clear as day. So I can literally say this saved me hours of walking uh, with a sunk ATV. So, And the good thing is we're selling them here for $20, uh, tax included. Uh, but for Ham Radio 360 listeners that are listening to this at home, 
If you go onto our website and click over to the Signal Stuff website, HR360 will get you the same cost as here at the venue, free shipping. Well, that's a good deal. Thank you. Yeah, so everybody, if you're not here at Dayton with us, uh, feel free to pick up one of these uh, amazing antennas for the same cost as being here. All right, well, we'll go talk to, because he's here, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, we'll, he, we'll go talk to Richard here in a second. Okay, yeah, yeah, he does that in the Antennas Help Fund, hamstudy.org, which is a great opportunity, and he'll, he'll tell you more about that. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being a friend of the show, and we look forward to seeing what else comes out of you guys in the future. All right, thank you very much, Jeremy. Also here in the comms to go booth is Richard, KD7BBC, the proprietor of hamstudy.org, an online website, presumably for studying to be a ham. Also the inventor and seller of the signal stick dual band uh, antennas for HTs, which he is literally wearing a necklace that he has made out of by, like, binding them together. <laughs> Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Doing good. Is this your first year at Dayton? This is my first year at Dayton. This is also my first time on a podcast. Well, good. I'm glad we got to you first. Let's start with hamstudy.org. Tell us about that. I've been a VE for a lot of years, and I kind of got frustrated with all of the people coming through our exams, failing the exam, because they hadn't seen all the questions on the test. There's this uh, perspective in ham radio. It's kind of a cultural thing that's been around forever, that an effective way of studying is to take randomized practice tests over and over and over again until you somehow have seen all of the questions and you're ready to go. I'm not saying that that can't work. Obviously it can, because most people have done that forever. Uh, but it's not a very effective way of studying. It's not very time efficient, and it frustrates people. So we focused on creating tools which allow targeted study, tools which are uh, in like intelligent flashcards, which keep track of what you've seen, what you haven't seen, which walk you through the pool. And I've always felt very strongly that this should not be something that costs a lot of money, and so we've focused on making that free. We are talking about creating an offline mobile app, which may have a small cost, but we're committed to keeping the website absolutely free. All right, and on the website, can I study for my tech, my general, and my extra? Uh, we have all of the U.S. question pools. We always get the new question pools out as soon as they come out. And we also have the FCC commercial pools. Oh, wow. So for, like, general radio operator licenses? Exactly. We've got all of those as well. Outstanding. So tell us about the antennas that you're literally wearing around your neck. So the super elastic signal sticks, as we call them, were actually originally created as a fundraiser for a scout group that I used to belong to. In fact, it's the one that I met my wife in. It was an amateur radio explorer post, which where I literally met my wife through ham radio. Um, and so I've been doing them for a lot of years, about 15 years, and I've just kind of gradually improved them over time. And eventually we weren't able to find enough youth to keep the explorer post alive. And so we co-opted it as a fundraiser to keep ham study free. And so at this point... Uh, they are made by volunteers in Utah, in our, in our area, who come over and help me build antennas. And just every, every time we get, you know, start doing it, we find something else to improve. Most recently, we've changed out the type of adhesive we use, etc. But uh, at this point, they're really a cool antenna because you can literally tie them in knots. They're made out of a metal called nitinol, which is a nickel-titanium alloy. Um, and they are dual band, 2 meter, 70 centimeter. It's a quarter wave on 2 meters and a 3 quarter wave on 70 centimeter. And they are so durable at this point that we put a lifetime warranty on them. And I will honor that. I literally replaced one that was 10 years old a few weeks ago. Um, that was back before we changed the wire out. They weren't nearly as durable then. But uh, if it breaks during, during normal use, uh, let me know about it. Send me a picture of what happened. I'll send you a shipping label. You return it to me. I'll send you a replacement. So I want to clarify that the definition of normal use must be pretty broad, given that you are, again, literally wearing a necklace of them. 
Well, my favorite story is the one where somebody was using it to uh, as part of a, a parade. They were helping out with a parade, and a horse leaned over their shoulder and bit the antenna in half. Yes, we did warranty that. Now, if you're using wire cutters, I might start to get a little more uh, picky. Of course, you probably wouldn't have told me, so I wouldn't know, and I would have replaced it anyway. But our definition of normal use is pretty much anything that you can do with it that's not intentional breakage. All right, and so John shared with us that you guys actually have a coupon code for our listeners to be able to get your show price after the show. Uh, Yes, that's correct. So we have a coupon code, HR360. That's no spaces, all lowercase, HR360. That coupon code will give you free shipping, which gives you the same price that we're if you were to pick it up here. That's good through the end of the month. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for your time. And if folks want to know more either about your antenna or ham study, give us your URLs again. So ham study can be found at hamstudy.org, hamstudy.org. And the super elastic signal sticks are sold by Signal Stuff, the company that owns Ham Study, which is just signalstuff.com, S-A-G-N-A-L-S-T-U-F-F.com. All right, thanks. Have a safe trip back. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate your time. So I just got pulled back over to the comms to go booth. John has some words for me. Yes, Jeremy, uh, your, your famous YouTube channel, which I, I love watching, you reference in your 2.0 box, you say there's going to be another video uh, following up with some results, and you kind of tease me. Um, I've been waiting. That's a cliffhanger. That's longer cliffhanger than I had with Lost or uh, Breaking Bad. I'm still waiting for your cliffhanger to... Yeah, the, the third part of that series, for those who don't know, I did a two-part video series on the theory and design of what I thought was the ultimate high-capacity high lithium iron phosphate power box using a lot of components that I'd researched. I have all the stuff. I have the Pelican case. I have the battery. Everything sitting at home, not assembled. And I get, I get angry letters at least once a month about when are you going to finish that darn video. Yeah, so it's a very popular video, and I, I referenced that quite a bit when we were doing our work. So I'd appreciate the, the follow-up. You want to hear a funny story? Yes, yes. George has built it. George is building it? Jo- no, George built it. Long before George knew us on the podcast, he had seen my YouTube channel. He saw that reference design, and he said, I would like this guy. If I were going to do it, this is what I would do. So he has actually bought all the stuff and built his. So he's going to follow up with the video then? and Because uh, your fans de- demand it from you at this point, really. Well, the funny thing about it is probably the most exotic thing in that design was the Victron Energy, uh, basically, Coulomb counting power meter. And, uh, you know, he did not go that route because, honestly, it's needlessly expensive, especially considering that we are just releasing a kit project that you can build that roughly does the same thing. Uh, but I really appreciate the feedback. I will let my uh, two young children and my wife know, and I will ask for time off work to finish. YouTube demands it from you. So, yes, and, and, and include the workbench projects in the uh, next one, too. Yeah, we are talking about maybe starting to do some videos of the builds and whatnot, so we're keeping that in mind, looking at how we can evolve. Thanks again. You guys have a safe trip back. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm here with Pat N0HR from PowerFilm. And how's, how's Hamvention going for you so far, Pat? Oh, it's been great. Uh, just it's great turnout, great crowds, and selling out of a lot of products really quickly. So we've really had a lot of fun uh, this week. So tell us, what does PowerFilm do? We make uh, a variety of uh, remote, lightweight solar products, including our own thin film solar material that we make in Ames, Iowa, uh, and then incorporate that into products that are used 
primarily by the military, but also our industrial customers and consumer uh, as well. And we can also customize even crystalline solar products for certain applications. If somebody has a need to power a device that's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, we're the guys to go to to help you get the electronics and the solar together into something that'll you know help help in a situation like that. So when I look around at your products, what strikes me is that uh, the ones you're showing here are all very flexible solar panels like, uh, think about fabric, as opposed to the traditional rigid kind of solar panels. So I would think for, uh, for an amateur radio operator, this would be the perfect kind of solar panel for sure for portable operations like soda or field day, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So our stuff is really known for being extremely lightweight and extremely compact when stored. Uh, so the guys doing soda, the guys that are going backpacking and want to have some really portable power solutions, um, we have uh, the stuff that really helps you get that done. Um, we make our product on uh, the, the thin film flexible stuff we make on a roll of plastic film. That's just a couple, uh, just like a two mils thick. And then um, deposit the layers of the silicon onto that, and it's doped. And then we uh, do a laser scribing process and a silver printing process that prints a silver conductive ink and uh, encapsulate it into a very thin form factor. Our foldable products uh, are mounted then onto um, uh, sheets of fabric that are laser trimmed out. And uh, so they are, they'll fold up into a backpack very nicely. Our rollable products get a heavier encapsulation uh, stack so that you can take them boating, they can get wet, you can leave them out a long time, and uh, very rugged products. So, yeah. So one thing I noticed on your brochure, there's uh, a tent, like, like the tent roof, and it looks like it's made from your solar panels and fabric. Yeah, the military asked us to design a tent like that, and we've sold uh, quite a few of those to the military. Um, so that's got our film incorporated into the roof of the tent structure. Uh, we have different sizes that go all the way up to 5.6 kilowatts and can provide a shade. Uh, so you get a lot of cooling effect from the shade of it, but also in just built into the roof of the tent, our solar flexible film um, that they can charge radios, cooling equipment, whatever they're going to do when they're out in you know places where it's really expensive to get generator fuel into. Uh, that's where they're using those tents. So when I look at the PowerFilm products, they're really nice, and they're, if I may say, they're also very expensive because they're commercial products. But you're here at Hamvention, and a lot of guys are buying your products. So it looks like you've got some really great deals for the hams. Yeah, for sure. So there's things that the hams will recognize the value in our product versus some cheap Chinese thing that might break the next day. So our uh, products being really lightweight, um, there's kind of a, a, a bang for the buck that you get with that. And... Uh, so, so we have that. We also have a lot of things that are factory seconds. And so if it had a small blemish, a stitching error, or it's got a stain on the fabric or something like that, we'll sell those in out in the flea market area at Hamvention. And uh, the guys are just <laughs> buying us out of a lot of products. So uh, pretty good discounts. And, uh, but yeah, that's what we got going this week. I just picked up a 60-watt panel for myself, so uh, I, I really wanted to get one of these for a long time, and I was looking forward to seeing you guys here, so I thought this would be a good chance to get one. So thanks very much, and have a great hamvention. Great. Thanks for stopping by and seeing us. So we're here in the Ham Sci booth, Ham Radio Science Citizen Investigation, and I'm talking to Nathaniel Whiskey 2 November Alpha Foxtrot, and I want to find out about what you guys are doing. 
Hi, George. Very nice to meet you. Uh, so I am uh, leading an organization called HamSci, the Ham Radio Science Citizen Investigation. And this started because I was a ham radio operator first, and I became very interested in uh, the ionosphere and propagation. I eventually got my PhD in ionospheric physics. So while I was in grad school, I learned about the reverse beacon network and uh, WhisperNet and PSK Reporter. I said, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if you can see solar uh, effects and ionospheric effects in that data. And so I was able to look at reverse beacon network data. I could actually see the effects of a solar flare, which was great. And so uh, I worked with a few of my friends and with the American Radio Relay League, and now we have an organization that looks to connect amateur radio operators with professional ionospheric physicists. And so we can actually use data generated by ham radio operators through the reverse speaking network, WhisperNet, and other things to help study and push forward science. Conversely, we hope as from the science side that we help to give back to the amateur radio community by uh, furthering education, uh, finding new discoveries, and creating interesting operating events and projects for amateur radio operators to do. So can you describe one of the projects that you guys are working on, or what, what do you see coming up next? Sure. Well, right now we have a very big project coming up. This August 21st, 2017, there's going to be a total solar eclipse that's going to cover the entire United States. Um, we are having a number of efforts to study this. One of them is the Solar Eclipse QSO Party. And this is going to be an operating event very similar to a field day or an AWRL November sweepstakes, that sort of operating flavor. But we're going to use the data that's generated by the Reverse Speaking Network, by uh, PSK Reporter and WhisperNet, and the participant submitted logs to help us study the changes in the atmosphere due to the total solar eclipse. So what are you looking for in that kind of a project? What sort of changes or what kind of data would be useful? Um, okay, well, we, in the past, we have only been able to see small... Um, we've only been able to look at small parts of the eclipse and its changes. And so we're hoping to be able to get a much bigger picture view of what, what's going to change. We want to know how large of an area of the ionosphere is affected by the eclipse. We want to know how long the ionosphere is affected by the eclipse. We expect to see enhanced propagation on the lower frequencies, down on um, 40, 80, 160 meters, and even down into the VLF bands and um, medium frequency if you were to listen to broadcasters. So those are the types of changes we're expecting to see. So you're really bringing together the amateur community to extend the sample of data to do fundamental ionospheric research. That's exactly right. And we're able to use the amateur data to complement traditional professional techniques such as ionosons and coherent scatter radars, GPS total electron content measurements. So as I'm standing here in the booth looking around, you have a lot of people working on this project with you. Could you describe the team you've got working with you? Sure. Uh, we, have, we actually have a lot of different projects going on. Um, we're HamSize an umbrella group that covers projects from many different institutions, people. We really try and connect people together. So in the booth here, I have a number of undergraduate students from the New Jersey Institute of Technology who are working directly with me. I have students from Virginia Tech who are working with the Eclipse Project. I have a researcher, uh, Dr. Phil Erickson, Whiskey One, Papa Julia Echo. He is from the MIT Haystack Observatory, and so he's uh, 
working uh, with an amateur on a sporadic e-project. So we have a lot of different things going on here. So this is an awesome example of connecting what we think of as a hobby or a community service to really fundamental physics research. That's absolutely correct. This is really awesome. So you guys uh, look great. We're going to post a picture of the team on our Facebook page later on tonight. And if anybody's interested in learning more about this or perhaps volunteering in some way, how could they get involved? Sure. They can go to hamsci.org. That's H-A-M-S-C-I.org. And there is there are how to get involved pages there. And there's also contact information if you'd like to reach us. That's great. Congratulations on the work you guys do. This is really wonderful. Thanks a lot. Thank you, George. It was a pleasure. We're in the RSGB booth with Steve, Mike One, Alpha Charlie Bravo. And I wanted to stop by and see what the RSGB is doing here in the U.S. So nice to meet you, Steve. Yeah, nice to see you, George. Um, it's, it's great to be here at Xenia. Um, I never actually went to Dayton. Uh, this is the first time I've been over here, so it's great to see this. And a lot of people are saying they like the venue. So, good stuff. It's great to be here. So, the RSGB is similar to RARRL here in the U.S. Is there anything that you guys do that's really different than what we do with the league? It, it's, that's a very difficult question. We, I think we complement, in the U.S., I think we complement what the, what the league do. And they're, they're great friends of ours. In fact, we were out for dinner with them last night. So, we work together. They sell some of our books in the U.S., but coming here for us is all about membership and meeting the people here that don't see us on a regular basis. In the UK, of course, we're, we're at lots of rallies and events, but not so many in the US. So coming here is all about that for us. So I'm actually a member of the RSGB, and the reason that I joined was I wanted to get a subscription to Radcom. So tell us a bit about the magazine. And we've heard a lot of that sort of comment um, yesterday and today as well about Radcom. People seem to love it. They love the technical content in it. And we're always very careful to try and balance the, the adverts, the, the stories and the technical content to try and keep that balance in the magazine. Not always easy, but we've got a small team, just two editors that work on it, technical editor uh, and an overall editor. And Giles and Elaine work really hard on keeping that balance in the magazine. Um, we think we do it well, but we love coming here actually for the feedback from people. Um, and I go, well, yesterday I went away from here with a big grin on my face because of the feedback we had. So Radcom we, is, our, is our main um, offering, I suppose, for international members. That's how they see us, except when they come here and they can come and talk to us. So I noticed that you have a lot of other publications also. So uh, what are some of the most popular books that you have? Oh, we've, we've got like our handbook, a big thick edition that's the handbook, um, that we try and keep that up to date. We renew that every two years, I think it is. Um, but a, a wide range of other things. As well as the technical ones, we've got some good history books, which always go down well here. I was just talking to somebody about the Enigma books that we have and Bletchley Park. And at Bletchley Park, then we have our own sort of public demonstration station for the RSGB. So if anybody's coming over to the UK then go and visit Bletchley Park and go to our national radio centre there and they can operate GB3RS if they take their licence with them. If they want to do that, do they have to make arrangements in advance or can you show up on the day? No, you can, you can just show up on the day and we're open from Wednesday through to Sunday, so not Monday and Tuesday. Now that's at the moment, we're going to add extra days. But um, we see quite a few thousand people through there in a month. Uh, it's really popular. So we're just getting amateur radio in front of people um, who visit Bletchley Park. It's, it's great. So where do you see amateur radio in the UK these days? Is it growing or is there particular areas of interest that you see being more popular? 
there's a, there's a really wide range of interests in amateur radio. Um, some people, they, they come into it nice and gently. With our, everybody has to come in through the foundation and then the intermediate and the advanced license route. Some people just stay at foundation. We love it if they progress and they get a technical interest. If we can start their interest that's the big thing that makes them progress further so that's fantastic we're looking at youth all the time we're trying to do that um we had some great success last year with while tim peak was up on the space station and um, we went out to 10 different schools um with amsat and the aris organization um, we went to 10 different schools and the kids at the schools were actually talking to tim peak on the space station that, that really got us in front of the public that was fantastic I had a chance to see the video on the TX Factor where they went to some of the schools and did the video. And in fact, when we had a, a ham radio uh, training session in the U.S. with a group of school kids, I took a little clip out of that video and showed the kids in the uh, auditorium talking to them on the space station, and they loved it. Oh, it was fantastic. It, it really caught everybody's imagination. We had so many amateurs in the U.K. that were going out and listening to the space station themselves and getting that on YouTube so it wasn't only the, the main event it was all the side things that got people interested in as well and we had um, some youngsters that were licensed making their own antennas going into their own schools and showing the rest of the kids in there how to do it and listening to the space station live fantastic publicity we it, it couldn't have been better from that well we really love what you guys are doing and it's great to really expand our listeners mind a little bit and think beyond our own borders and look at what you guys are doing because you're doing some really great stuff some very uh, good community outreach trying to get new folks into the hobby so congratulations for all that and it's a pleasure meeting you steve yeah thank you good to see you and fantastic to be here at uh, xenia i'm talking to nick henwood golf three romeo whiskey fox who's the president of the RSGB, and we're here to talk about youth and amateur radio. So, Nick, could you tell me a bit about the programs that you're developing for young people in amateur radio? Well, the big thing this year for us is that uh, we're hosting Youth on the Air, which is an international uh, youth camp, which is going to be in August. So, um, sort of about, about three young people from all sorts of different countries all come together. They spend uh, t- two weeks working at uh, amateur radio and having fun building projects, operating, all of that stuff. So they have the opportunity to be together with lots of other young people, all with the same kind of enthusiasm for amateur radio. And uh, we're really looking forward to hosting that. It's going to be at the uh, Gilwell Park Camp in uh, the southeast of England, which is actually probably well known to anybody who's a scout. Um, but uh, we're really looking forward to hosting that in, in, in August of, that, of this year. So with that program, if somebody's interested, can people apply to participate uh, from other countries, and what would the process be? Well, it's, it's quite competitive. Uh, I mean, you, we've only got three from uh, from the UK on it, so people people apply, and there was a there was a process of selecting the people who were lucky enough to actually be on the program. The other thing which we've been able to do is to ask for financial support for that. We get a lot of financial support from the International Amateur Radio Union, but in order to uh, to extend the program and to make the experience better, we've asked for volunteers. Uh, to contribute from within the amateur community. The response to that's been really good. A lot of elder amateurs have seen that as an opportunity to to actually do something. I know it's financial rather than a physical uh, contribution, uh, and and that's been a good aspect as well. If if people want to contribute to the program, how could they do that? 
Well, that's a, that, that's a difficult question because these are the the, the, uh, the the main impetus comes through the International Amateur Radio Union. The funding for that comes from national radio societies. So the direct route in, unless it happens to be in your country, I think is probably not too obvious. So how many young people will be participating in that program this year? I think I'm right in saying there's going to be just over 100, actually. there. Uh, um, so that's on site, we're going to have a couple of hundred. I'm sure that, that sort of number. Well, it'll certainly be doing some operating because there's a, there's, a, there's a good HF station there, which in fact the scouts use, but we're going to uh, augment it. They're going to be doing some building work. One thing, uh, one program we have with young people and other people uh, do similar programs, the ARRL and, and the German club, for example, is uh, Build-A-Thon. Um, building simple circuits, seeing them working, we're going to do that, um, m making antennas, the skills of operating, all, all of those sorts, as much breadth and interest as possible so that uh, th there's, a, there's a wide attraction. Is the, uh, are the young people that come to this, are they already licensed amateurs that have to have some accomplishment or are some of the youth that come in looking to become amateur operators yeah, they're, they're further down the road than that they, are, they, they, they actually are into amateur radio when they come so they need, need a license in, in order to, to take part what's the age range of the uh, young folks that come to it roughly now there is an exact age range you've got me there slightly I think it's in the age range of I think it's about 16 to 25 or thereabouts so that sounds like a great program I wish that was available when I was that age I would have loved to have done something like that well, yeah, great. Actually, I think, I, think, I think the top age might be 30. I think I might be a little bit on... There's somebody here, actually, who's on the program. I'll try and uh, find him for you. Yeah, and, and I taught myself amateur radio, really, but uh, times were different then, and uh, there's less opportunity to communicate in other ways. But, you know, I think a lot of us that have been hams for a long time really want to enable the next generation of hams and encourage them and get them to learn not only about amateur radio, but how that connects to their other technologies and community service and, and other related topics. So this seems like a really great way to, to motivate them and, and teach them new things. I, I, that, I'm sure that's true. And one way, one way we're trying to spread the, the, the message, as it were, from this year's camp is that we're encouraging uh, radio societies within the, within the UK to set up their stations, set up kind of parallel activities on a local basis so that they can kind of feel part of it and also probably communicate with them as well. Um, it's just just looking all the time, looking for ways really of engaging with, with young people and overcoming the, uh, the, uh, the fact that we've got a very large kind of top end of people like myself, if the truth were known, and we need, we need to connect with young people. I th think once they once they see how, how interesting it is as a hobby and how it ties in with other aspects of electronics and what they're doing at school and so on, the, attra the attraction is still there. So in this program, I'm curious if, if they've looked at any crossover technical pieces with some of the other technical hobby areas like the whole general maker and robotics and other areas that young people are interested in in a technical field. Is there a connection to any of those kind of activities? <laughs> yes, there is. I think... It, it obviously depends on what people sort of do on the ground. Where, where radio clubs are working with, say, schools, uh, I think you can see a lot of evidence of that. I know you were talking earlier on to Steve about the programme involving Tim Peake and, uh, and all of that. I went to a number of the schools there where, where they were having, a, however many, was it eight minutes with, with Tim Peake? But some of them had done great projects. They, they were doing the same projects that Tim Peake had actually done uh, on the International Space Station growing beans, they had done mathematical projects. I went to a primary school where they made the most enormous space rocket. Uh, the entire staff were dressed up in space suits. And, but, but 
it was all entirely integrated in what they were doing in science, maths, electronics, and, and, and so on. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for coming here to Xenia, to the Hamvention. It's great to see you guys. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff that you can buy from the RSGB also, and I assume that uh, we can buy those things online because I subscribe to Radcom and as a member, and I'm sure we could buy your wonderful publications and other cool shirts and things over uh, just on the web, right? We're very happy to hear from anybody, particularly anybody who'd like to, uh, to join the society. We're, we've got a, a pretty large uh, international membership, in fact. That's excellent. Thank you so much for your time, and good luck here at Xenia. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoy being here. Thanks. So we're here today with Randy, Whiskey Uniform 2 Sierra from Arden. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that a month or so ago, we did an in-depth interview with Randy and the guys from the Arden Project, and we learned all about what they're doing. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that episode. In the meantime, uh, Randy, we want to get a quick overview of what Arden is, and then we'll talk a bit about what you guys are doing. Okay, thanks, George. Well, Arden, very simply, is a TCP/IP network that we're we're building on open source software, and our focus is providing high-speed multimedia communications network in support of emergency responders. Uh, you know, it's our belief that uh, emergency responders of all type can benefit from a low-cost, ham-supplied, ham-operated communications uh, that supports applications they're already familiar with. So if I think about Arden, the first thing that pops into my mind is HSMM. I believe that's the right acronym for high-speed multimedia, I think is what the sort of notion was called in the past. And is this an evolution of that idea, or is this something different? Yes, it, it, it is an evolution of that. I believe the league still refers to it as high-speed multimedia, or HSMM as a sort of a generic term for various ways of implementing that. And so uh, our project grew out of the broadband HAMNEP uh, uh, implementation of that, and then we proceeded onward from that, uh, getting away from the somewhat long-in-the-tooth old blue and black Linksys boxes that, you know, frankly served the purpose well up to a point, but they really don't have the, uh, the memory, first off, to support more robust applications. The radios aren't agile enough to move outside of the Part 15 bands, and they're not weatherproof like the commercial equipment that we're repurposing. So I'd like to talk about the equipment in a second, but, but first, l- let's think about, for the listener who's never done this before, if they were involved with an Arden network, what is the kind of capability or services or features that they would be able to use this system for? Well, that's really the right place to start, because you really need to start at the beginning, with, which is, what services do we want to provide? And, so, and more importantly... Uh, if you're working with the local Aries group or you're working with uh, municipal or county or even statewide emergency management, there are a variety of applications that they rely on to get their job done. Some of them may be text-based. Maybe they really rely on email to communicate among their various deployed units. Other people reply on, on te- telephones, voice telephony. Uh, others would prefer keyboard text messages. And there are some agencies and, and some situations where having live, high-definition streaming video 
is absolutely crucial to the success of their mission. So all of those things can be done very easily across an Arden mesh network. So when I think about those things, it sounds to me like you're building a wireless TCPIP backbone, a private wireless data network. Is that the essence of it? That's exactly it in a nutshell. In, in effect, what we do is we enable hams to create their own private internet so when the hurricane or the tornado blows through and the cell phone towers are all inoperative and the local central office is battery uh, bank in the basement is all flooded and, the, and therefore the internet is down, luckily the hams in your location that have uh, solar panel backed up battery operated mesh nodes have created the backup private internet so emergency responders can still use the high speed TCP IP applications they what they normally use. No additional training and hams now are providing a, a temporary internet uh, service for them, if you will. So one question I've had about this kind of operation for a long time is, what are the legalities around connecting a private data network that's operated in the amateur service with the real public internet? Is that some, of course, technically you could do that, but is that, is there any legal issue around that? Uh, not that I'm aware of, uh, although, you know, to be perfectly clear, it's as well, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with a, a privately constructed TCP IP network. Uh, you know, Arden, again, is sub, uh, mission is to support emergency data responders. And so uh, in pursuit of that, you know, we don't recommend Internet connections in a, in a production emergency response network. You don't want to rely on it, the Internet being available or not being available. You, this is, again, the backup system that uh, doesn't need any outside support to operate successfully. Having said that, though, we do have... Uh, implementations with internet connectivity, and those serve a parallel purpose usually. Uh, first of all, to introduce new hams, to hams new to the concept, to what, what the network is and how it can be used, introduce the uh, capabilities to emergency responders and be able to demonstrate them uh, how their, their existing applications might work on the backup network for them, on an Arden network. So there's reasons to have, you know, some internet connectivity, but it's not the kind of thing that would we would recommend for what you would call a production emergency response network. So you might you might stand up either with the same equipment or two different sets of equipment, you know, sort of parallel Arden networks. So let's talk a little bit about the equipment, because at the end of the day, all of our listeners want to talk about the, the stuff, right? So what kind of equipment do you deploy in a system like this? Okay, and because we're all hams, and we'll, I'll use the polite word, we all know that hams are frugal. I didn't say cheap, did I? No. Anyway, and so the, uh, the commercial equipment that we're using is primarily Ubiquiti, uh, Air, the AirMax product line. And we support almost the entire AirMax product line. Uh, for supplier diversity, we also supply the CPE 210 and CPE 510 from TP-Link. Uh, so that, that equipment works well. And we're also still researching uh, additional vendors, but we're not ready to deploy on that yet. So the, the equipment comes in a variety of... Uh, 
models, depending on what service you want, all the way from a uh, very frugal forty-six dollars to a uh, with, with a um, two point four gigahertz nano station loco, uh, and you can easily get those on Amazon or from a number of other uh, wireless internet service provider retailers that uh, that we often use, and. Uh, up from there, there are units then for $89, and the most expensive uh, equipment that you're probably going to run into is on the 3 gigahertz band, and the reason that it's more expensive is not because it costs more to manufacture, but because there really aren't any commercial uses of the 3 gigahertz band in the United States. So uh, you can obtain it. But the equivalent of uh, an $89 unit on 2.4 gig is, I believe, about $129 on 3 gig. So it works just as well. Well, a couple of thoughts to think about. First of all, listeners may not realize that amateurs have a frequency allocation between 3.3 and 3.5 gigahertz, so that could be a new piece of data. But I would think if you're deploying a system, in, especially in a dense urban environment, with all the 2 and 5 gig normal part 15 activity, putting in a 3.3 gig system might be preferable. Does that make sense in an urban deployment? Yeah, it makes absolute sense. But even beyond, we can get back to that in a minute, but even beyond the 3.3 gig uh, band, which amateurs are not making as much use of as they should uh, or could, uh, even on 2.4 gigahertz, uh, the firmware that we're supplying to hams uh, enables the uh, Ubiquity unit to be operated both in the traditional channels 1 through 6, on, uh, which are used by all of your neighbors on part 15, but we've been able to operate the radios below channel one on channel on what we call channels minus one and minus two and of course the beauty of that is that that frequency spectrum is exclusively allocated to hams and so when you do that even on 2.4 gig you gain uh, at least 20 db uh, over as your signal to noise ratio improves really dramatically and now you've got really viable RF links. On, on the 5 gig band, uh, we have, I believe, it, uh, something like 37 channels in total, the, the bottom 30 of, uh, of which are in shared space with part 15, but the top seven are, again, exclusively hand band. So they're beautiful, clear spots, and as you said, uh, w- with just some considerations for 3 gig, essentially it's wide open to, to ham use with no interference. So if I'm interested in this kind of an operation and I don't have a bunch of friends who are experts at networking and all that, I wanted to get the gear and set it up and try, let's say, uh, two stations. How complicated and how much learning curve is there to figure all this out? Well, that's where we've spent a lot of time figuring out how to make it easy to use for the typical ham because you you're in a, in a in a real world situation where a, a local group of hams maybe the the local Aries organization has decided to pursue this and 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 support their emergency responders 
uh, you'll, you'll probably have an IT savvy or maybe a network engineer or, or, or two available to, to do all the heavy lifting, all the, all the technical planning that you might want to do to stand up a, a, a larger scale network, a permanent network. But yeah, getting started, we put a lot of thought into assisting the average ham that, that you know knows how to connect to their home Wi-Fi, use the internet successfully for a variety of things, maybe even doing a little light programming. But they're they're not network engineers, and so we put a lot of thought into uh, being able to acquire the software, uh, get it loaded on the the new factory new unit. Uh, getting it configured properly, properly, and there's a lot of advice for actually using it and deploying it. And, and, the, and the whole point is, is that since most hams, the the, the you, you play the statistics team, most hams are not network engineers, uh, and are not all that familiar with you know what's needed to stand up a TCP/IP network. Well, you you want to play to the larger audience, to make sure that they have a, an active role in in providing these services to their communities and it's easy to do that i think that's fantastic because a lot of us don't have the time to become network experts or some of us don't have the desire to do that and the degree to which you guys could do all that legwork for everybody else so they can then go configure and deploy a system is a wonderful service yeah well somebody had asked me uh, just a few hours ago this is well well, if I, if I bought a new Ubiquiti unit and I brought it home, this is how long would it take me to get it set up? So I said, well, it, you know, it kind of depends is, is, you know, if you've ever done this kind of thing or not. And I says, okay, let's look at the worst cases. You've never put new firmware on a device, you know, flash the, the, the new thing. I says, well, luckily we have step-by-step instru- step-by-step illustrated instructions on the website that lead you through something like 20 steps and I mean they are small baby steps so if you can read and follow instructions and look at the picture to make sure that what you're seeing in real life is somewhat close to what's on the instruction sheet you're, you're guaranteed to be a success and I said going through that slowly you've never done it before kind of worst case it probably would take you 20 minutes absolute dead max you realize that most of our listeners never crack open the manual oh well yeah there is that this is fortunately for them we also have recovery procedures on the website for what to do when when you brick your unit the first time through and i'm just as guilty of that as everybody else uh at the beginning of this year, I was down at my place in Florida, and I had a couple of brand new three gig units sent down there. And of course, just like a regular guy, uh, I was excited, and I I cracked it open, powered it up, and started you know loading the the software. And of course, bricked the unit because I forgot one of the essential steps. That's very clear in large text in red on the Arden website. So, and I'm the webmaster. I should really know better, but I, I'm like a kid too. I get excited about what you what are doing. You make mistakes, so you can recover from that. You and you learn from it. Well, that's great to know. So, Randy, if people want to follow up and dive into Arden and look at building a system, maybe experimenting at first with an eye towards maybe deploying in an emergency, what should they do? Well, the first thing, of course, is go out to our website, www.arden.org. 
and there's a wealth of information out there. You don't have to register and all. It's all publicly available, and of course, it's an open source project. So, you know, if you're of that mind, you can actually download all the source code for you. We we are very careful about honoring our obligations to the open source of the GPL license. Uh, but if you're not, there's there's uh, the forums are very active and they cover a plethora of topics. There's a knowledge base with uh, information. There's past articles. So there's just a wealth of information. And, and uh, we also have, I hope, a very effective search engine that I put in place so people could very easily find things that they're, they're interested in. And then, of course, if you're interested in registering on the website, the only reason you really need to do that is if you want to post a question that you don't think has been answered before or it has some specific uh, parameters to it, well, then register with us. We're not going to spam you. It's just to, to validate that you you know, you know are a ham and we're not getting spammed. Uh, but then register and then you can post a question on the forum. And uh, generally, the community has been very responsive. There's 80 to 100 postings a week out there and uh, you, you get responses not just from the Arden team but from the community at large. There's a lot of very knowledgeable people out there. Well, that's awesome. I'd like to stop by and see what your setup looks like over in the booth. So I'm going to come over and check it out. And uh, I'm sure everybody appreciates all the hard work you guys put in to a project like this that really helps so many other groups around the country. Well, we're really happy to do it. You know, if and, and I think most hams realize this. If, if you look at Part 97, and frankly, you ought to at least look at the, the preamble once a year. And, and, and one of the most important things that we do is, is provide public service. And that's really, again, the core mission of Arden. This is we are really interested in, in, in being an aid to our under-budgeted, often under-appreciated emergency responders. And I, as just an individual citizen, I, I look at it as enlightened self-interest. I'm real interested in helping the people who risk their lives and volunteer their time to protect my property and my life. And so I think it just... It's just good sense to go give these people a leg up in the, in the ways you can best. And so since I know something about communications and I know effective communications is at the heart of all emergency response, this is where I should contribute to, to my local responders because, you know, they don't have, they never have enough time, they will never have enough budget, and they will never have enough expertise beyond whatever specialty they're providing. So that's where we, we in the community should step up and, and give back to the public. Well, that's fabulous. And thank you for what you guys do. Can't wait to come by and take a look at the gear. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, George. Great interview. I'm standing here at the tequipment.net booth with Steve Huss from Regal, who has joined us yet once again in Hamvention. I want to tell you a quick story. So about, I think it was three years ago, you had just announced the TS-815, or sorry, the DSA-815 line of spectrum analyzers. I was on my way to Dayton, knew I was going to be saving money to be here, wanted to figure out how to get one. I was in the ASU booth. I turned the corner, and there you guys are selling them, and I went home with one. I had one of the first ones you sold. And it has been a phenomenal piece of equipment that has offered a lot of capability. You guys overall have done a really good job of bringing affordable quality test equipment to the hobbyist and maker community while additionally supporting your high-end customers with your high-end products. 
So tell us a little bit about that commitment to the hobbyist maker community and how Regal started participating in that market. Well, you know, we really appreciate the, the hobbyists and the enthusiasts. Uh, Regal is relatively new, and uh, the company was formed in uh, 1998. Uh, have had operations in North America since, I think, around 2010. Um, and so, relatively unknown name, you know, in the very beginning. So, with our lower uh, cost entry points for... Um, uh, scopes that have a lot of a lot to offer uh, really got accepted fast in the in the hobbyist uh, ham community, and we really appreciate that that, that gotten the, the regal name out there, and we've continued on with that success and have uh, continued to sell to the hobbyists and enthusiasts, and and as well as moving into you know commercial markets. Um, with uh, higher-end, uh, you know, mid-range uh, products uh, suitable for those applications. So it's worked out really well. So we'll, uh, we'll, we continue to have the, the product for uh, uh, the, the enthusiasts, you know, that's, that's affordable, as we move into, uh, you know, higher-end products as well, and establish uh, uh, those higher-application uh, applic- you know, products. So you guys literally broke the test equipment market a few years ago with the release of the DS1000E series. Unheard of to get a 50 megahertz two-channel scope with digital storage capabilities for $400. More recently, you thought that wasn't good enough and did it again releasing a four-channel scope at about that price point. Tell us a little bit about that scope and the model number. Yeah, the... Uh, the, the uh 1000E series, you know, represented by the 100 megahertz and 50 megahertz, the, the 1102E and the 1052E, really established an affordable price point for folks that could never afford a scope before. So building on that success, uh, we came out with the 1000Z series, 50 megahertz, 70 megahertz, and 100 megahertz. Now this scope some big improvements. Uh, you've got a bigger screen. You got two extra channels. The screen itself is higher resolution. You got memory depth that give a greater history on non-periodic uh, waveforms as well as serial decode that's not available on the 1000E. So a lot of great features um, with this new platform, uh, uh, fulfilling applications that can't be done with the 1000E series for a very similar price point. And what's interesting in this world of modern digital storage scopes, you get started for about $400 for that base model scope. And there are software upgrades you can purchase to unlock additional capability, like triggering on different serial protocols, decoding serial protocols, more memory band or more memory, uh, uh, sample point memory, etc. Um, it's really nice to see that you have created tools that somebody can grow into as well. Now, at that kind of entry point in your portfolio, what are some of the other products that you have? And I also know that you guys just released a new function generator kind of in that entry-level period. Yeah, that's right. The um, waveform generation, uh, folks might be familiar with the DG1022. Uh, That's a a phenomenal product at a great price point. And uh, so uh, what we've come out recently is the uh, DG1000Z series. And initially, we, we had the 60 megahertz and 30 megahertz version. 
but have continued on with a 20 megahertz version with a price point very similar to the 1022. And like the Scope, the 1000Z series, this generator has all the capabilities of the previous 1022 non-A and A, but it has, um, it has deeper memory for arbitrary uh, waveforms, um, much deeper memory, and it uses uh, what we call a sci-fi technology. So most data generators of, uh, uh, at that entry point are DDS, you know, synthesized, whereas uh, sci-fi really uh, uh, takes it to the next level as far as uh, you know, purity of waveforms, quality of waveforms. Uh, so it's, it's been well received and it, it was great to see we started out at, at a higher price point with uh, higher frequencies and we've extended that uh, uh, capability down to uh, more affordable uh, 1022Z for the hobbyist enthusiasts as well. One of the best parts about that function generator is the screen and that's that's been the great thing. Actually, I've wanted one of your benchtop multimeters for a long time, but I'm holding out for when it gets replaced with one of your beautiful, beautiful LCDs. Well, you, you never know. Uh, Regal is continuously uh, designing and uh, researching, and, and uh, there's, there's always going to be stuff on the horizon. I'd love to talk more about it, but we'll just have to wait and see what comes. So now a couple of years ago, you guys uh, refreshed your portfolio with power supplies. The DP832 is probably one of your best sellers. Three-channel power supply uh, with a lot of capabilities, unlockable features. So yesterday, I bought a DP711, which was uh, a slightly less expensive single-channel, 5-amp, 30-volt, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there's, there's uh, two versions. There's a 711 and a 712. So the 712 has uh, the higher voltage. And only 3 amps. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, uh, you know, that A32 has been wonderfully popular. We sell a lot of those units. And uh, actually, it was kind of so surprised to me when the 700 series came out. Uh, but just to show our dedication, you know, to the, to the enthusiasts and hobbyists, we came out with that single-channel unit to make it even more affordable. So one of the things that I wondered about, because I thought the first time that I saw you here, which I, your first time here was three years ago? Um, myself, personally, uh, uh, this is my third year. Uh, Regal has uh, been attending the HamFest for quite some time. Uh, back about three years ago, we moved from Cleveland to Oregon on the West Coast, and that's when I came on board. And uh, since the move, we've, we've been here with uh, T-Equipment. Uh, and then I, 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 I get to come out and, and represent the company. So why do you guys go through all of the effort to come out here to bring your equipment? What is it about hams that you guys see? Well, I tell you, the ham crown is, uh, has been really good for us. Uh, they've recognized the uh, quality of the equipment and the affordability. And that's just, that's just been shown by the volume that we sell. So we... We, we always want to come out here. The word gets out. It's, it's a great community that that's, can, can spread our message uh, to folks. Uh, it's, it's worked out really well, so we'll continue to do that. All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Before we go, if people want to know more about Regal's products, where would they go online? 
They would go to regalna.com. Uh, NA is for North America. Uh, so we've got uh, a, a recently redesigned website. If you've been there in the past, take a look again. We've got, uh, you'll, you'll see all the new products. Uh, a lot easier to get around. I'd love to, love to have you take a look. And then if folks were wanting to buy things, tell us, what's T-Equipment's website, your partner? Yeah, it's uh, T-Equipment.net, one of our uh, distributors. All right, outstanding. Steve, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the rest of Hamvention. Great. It's been uh, great talking to you. Thanks a lot. Steve, N0TES, the founder and owner of Alpha Antennas. Alpha Antennas, you may be familiar with seeing a lot of their portable products, their field expedient antennas, and some of their mag loops. Steve, how are you liking Dayton so far? The Dayton experience has been quite smooth. Traffic flows were long, but always moving into the facilities. The facilities for bathrooms are very well calculated, and the uh, food is amazing. The food really has been amazing. The steak outside of my particular venue was very good. And then I had a cabbage biscuit, and often known as a beer ox. And that was amazing as well. So I got a faint ignorance. Where are you guys based out of? We are just south of Kansas City. We have a large red, white, and blue building there that we're expanding and growing all the time. All right, so for our listeners who are not familiar with your products, walk us through your portfolio of antennas. We started out as a portable antenna system company, and now we have the base antenna systems. Things that we've done has caught the attention of the military, as well as automatic link establishment fans who want broadband antenna systems that do not require antenna tuners. And a lot of times what we find is individuals corporations and military are pushing data traffic back through our systems to the backhaul systems at their bases. So what about, uh, so talk about some specifics about those antennas. Well, about a year ago, we started to do a massive improvement on a specific antenna that was very popular for many years. So we pulled that specific antenna, which is now been released for this particular show. It's called the Military 2.0. It fits in a 16-inch bag. It does not require a tuner. It is directional, as well as maintaining the NBIS properties. It also has a 19-degree takeoff angle for DX. And so this particular antenna system uses a 316 stainless steel match. And then we also then use a, a 0.490 inch diameter aluminum rod element system for the radiator. At the base of that, we have a 25 foot NVIS element. That system is then grounded with a ground wire. We did that because a lot of people weren't grounding their portable antenna systems. Well, then we found a lot of people are not grounding their base rigs as well. So now our base antenna systems are grounded, tuner-free, and directional. It's been very educational to listen to all of the people with their podcasts, everyone from Ham Radio 360 to other YouTube videos and customers 
throughout the years. We always try to improve our antenna systems based upon the customer feedback, and so keep it coming in. So this new Military 2, can I mount it on one of your famous tripods? The heavy-duty full-metal jacket tripod is a brand-new tripod system that we have. It does not require guy wires. When it closes, it actually closes around the antenna system, encasing the antenna system in a full-metal jacket enclosure. All of that then goes inside a padded bag. There are videos on our website at www.alphaantenna.com, and you can go there and see all of this. And the user guides that are now available are following the military's formats, so they're more of an educational material at the beginning of them. You'll see the list of parts and then a simple diagrams that can be followed, oftentimes with real photographic images of how to assemble the antennas. The next thing we did is we then released an app, an app that allows for all amateur radio operators to see the bands that they're allowed to operate on, real-time band conditions, future will have predictive satellite pass technology, as well as repeater directories in the particular app. Uh, you can go to alphaantenna.com and download the app, and in there you'll see some coupons, and we'll put a special one out there for Ham Radio 360. Now, the next thing that we found is that some people wanted a very small tripod. Well, and with that came a very small antenna system. So we developed what's called a QRP loop. Well, the, this is a new rendition of a QRP loop that we released back in 2005. And the new loop is now waterproofed, 24 inches across, 1.24 pounds, and don't forget it's waterproofed. The neat thing about this particular loop, it's very inexpensive, and it comes in a militarized field bag. What we have at that point is we have a real magnetic loop. A lot of people understand that there is a common thought that magnetic loops need to be less than one-tenth of a wavelength in, in their circumference. If a one individual or another sits there and looks at all the manufactured loops and considers what bands they operate on, oftentimes you'll see that 40 meters is the only band that it truly is a magnetic loop on. Maybe it's a small transmitter loop on the rest of the bands. This one is the exception. It actually is a magnetic loop on the frequencies it was designed to operate on. 10 through 40 meters in a 24-inch space. How, how much power? That is the QRP loop. So this is for QRP operations. That is 10 watts PEP, SSB. All of our other systems are 500 watts. So we do specialize for our QRP systems, but we also have the 500-watt systems. So for this QRP loop, you're saying 10 watts PEP. If you're a, if you're a CW op, I mean, still 5 watts, 10 watts? Correct. It would be the 5 watts on the PEP for CW operators. And then how is that antenna tuned? There is a manual tuning knob on the front of it. And you can place that in front of you on the desk, or we also have a tripod option, a jaw mount option, and you tune that with that knob on the front. 
So one of the things that I, I've heard about you is that you are somebody who really, you don't just theorize a product and put it out there. You are constantly testing your things, going to antenna ranges and testing things. Have you guys gotten an idea of how efficient that loop is? The efficiency of the loop is, well, it's a magnetic loop. And so based on comparisons with electrical dipoles at resonant height, what you'll find is that the loop is not as efficient as any dipole. Well, that, that's loops in general, right? All magnetic loops are always less efficient than any dipole of equivalent frequency at resonant height in free space, in other words. We do have one other thing that you mentioned. Always testing and improving antenna systems. Well, for many years, we have an alternate loop that does 30 watts. And many hams around the world said, please, look into it. Can you do one thing? Make it work on 80 meters. Well, we did that. So now we have a 10 through 80 meter loop as well. Up to 30 watts PEP? That is the 30 watt PEP loop for the 10 through 80 meter. We just simply call that the alpha loop. Well, there's still another group of people that we needed to help out. Those were the people that wanted 100-watt magnetic loops. So we did it. Well, what else can I say? Uh, go look at the resonant magnetic loops. Um, they're built for a specific frequency band. So if you buy the 20-meter magnetic loop, that is the RML, you'll find that it is a 100-watt loop. And they're very inexpensive. How inexpensive? All of them are less than a $200 bill, and some are as low as $100 a piece. Well, that's very good. You know, one thing I forgot to ask you, we were talking about the Military 2. What are the bands and the power? The Military 2.0 is a 500-watt, 10 through 80-meter antenna system. Outstanding. And if folks wanted to know more about your products, you said it a moment again, but where would they go online to see it? We do not use the dealer networks at this time. We have been finding that we can improve our products quicker by supplying them directly. So all products from Alpha Antenna are available from alphaantenna.com. All right, and one thing I will say that you kind of alluded to earlier, uh, there's one gentleman on YouTube whose handle is Videos by Mike who has done a lot of review videos of your products. If you want to see them in action, go check him out. Again, that's Videos by Mike. So, Steve, thank you very much for your time. Have a safe trip home. Thank you, my friend. You have a very blessed evening. Standing here again with Kevin, KI6DHQ from BioNO Power. You guys may remember that uh, I asked Kevin to send me a battery to put it through its paces against some other popular batteries on the market, and it came out with flying colors. I wholeheartedly endorse them. I wish they were giving me lots of free products to say this, but it's not happening. Kevin, you're here at Hamvention again. You're here with HamSource. How's it going? Uh, it's doing very well. I'm uh, really excited to be here back here at Dayton for uh, the second time. Um, we know it's here in the new uh, Xenia Fairgrounds, but the facilities have been uh, great so far. Uh, we've certainly been enjoying it, and we've had the opportunity to, uh, to reach out to our, our existing customers here as well as um, show them new products as well. So it's been, it's been great. So, Kevin, for those of us uh, or those of our listeners who may not be familiar with your batteries and what makes them so special. Give us an overview of the BioNO battery packs, 
the, the chemistry in the cells and some of the features that are built into them. Sure. So our company offers lithium iron phosphate batteries. These batteries are about 70% lighter than a traditional lead acid battery. You're looking at a battery that's offering more than 2,000 charge cycles, as well as the fact that the batteries um, put out an open circuit voltage that's around 13.2, 13.3 volts, which matches up with radio very nicely. Um, so you have a lot of advantages over traditional lead acid batteries. You can save the weight, you get the number of charge cycles, and then also that, that operating voltage is, um, is very good for, for use with, with radio radio communications equipment. So what are some of the features built into the battery for the electronics? So the batteries offer internal protection circuitry, otherwise known as a protection circuit module, that does all of the balancing functions, which is critical, as well as it protects against overcharging, over-discharge, over-current, over-voltage protections in there. So um, you have a pretty robust uh, mechanism in there for these batteries. And the balancing is critical because a battery pack is only as strong as the weakest battery. And so you guys do topside balancing where you get the batteries all up to the same voltage and they keep them there for when it's ready to be used. Yeah, that's correct. And that's also very important, uh, which distinguishes our batteries uh, with other companies. So when I'm looking at your smaller portable batteries, I notice it looks like you start at three amp hours and, and how high do you go? So now we actually offer batteries up to uh, 12 volts, uh, 300 amp hours. Uh, we had a lot of requests over the past year for even larger packs um, that can be used uh, not only for radio communications equipment, but also for uh, battery energy storage, uh, solar equipment. Um, we're also getting involved in the marine industry as well. Um, we do a lot of business as well as uh, for companies that are um, involved with uh, government contracts. Um, so there was, a, there was a really big need to uh, for companies that had very, very large SLA AGM batteries that they wanted to replace. They wanted something much, much lighter to put into, into uh, uh, pieces of equipment like trailers and things like that to operate a bunch of different types of electronics. All right, so for some of the smaller batteries that we look at, you know, similar to the 8-amp-hour that I did, which is consistent with like a 7- to 9-amp-hour AGM, you guys have some 12s, 15s, 20s. I noticed they're available in two different packaging styles. Yeah, that's correct. So we have uh, the ABS, um, the hard shell case with the terminal post on it, but we also offer batteries um, in what we call a PVC pack that has a fiberboard uh, material that's surrounding it, and we put the power pole connectors on them already so you can plug them into the radio. We had a lot of requests uh, from HAMS uh, to have these connectors already attached to the battery so they can be used uh, with the equipment directly. All right, and you guys also offer chargers as an option for these. Right, that's correct. So uh, so the chargers, uh, probably more precisely, is they're basically uh, power supplies um, that are used for charged batteries. We do provide that with the purchases, yep. And it's very important to realize that if you buy one of these batteries, you do not plug it into a battery tender. It needs a constant current, constant voltage source to safely charge it. Yeah, that's correct. So constant current, constant voltage is the correct way for charging the batteries. Yeah. All right, and overall, uh, if... Can you roughly give some prices for some sizes that folks would run into if they go to your website? Yeah, so if you take a look, um, pricing starts at about $50 for a 12-volt 3-amp hour. And then um, from what we've seen for ham radio, uh, they're interested for batteries uh, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, up to 20-amp hours. And that goes up to about $190. Okay. And I notice another thing that's different from last year to this year. You guys have picked up some more distributors in the ham equipment world. Yeah, that's correct. So our ba batteries are currently available through a lot, a lot of different resellers, um, Ham Radio Outlet, um, as well as PowerWorks, uh, Ham Source. Um, we're also available across many different channels as well. So we have a lot of places where you can purchase them now. So have you been working with any of the companies like Coms to Go to put your batteries in their portable battery boxes? In fact, yes, we have. So uh, uh, it's been a great opportunity to work with Coms to Go. They 
they reached out to us. Uh, they wanted to create a better um, Go box um, that incorporates our batteries in there. Um, so uh, definitely check out Comps to Go, um, and you can check out our pro our batteries are available and uh, integrated with those products. One other thing I'll share that I had an epiphany. I recently got into drone flying, and it occurred to me that all the knowledge that I built up powering radios in the field would also let me put together solar power packs to recharge my drone batteries in the field as well. Have you run into anybody trying to do that yet? Uh, yeah, actually we have. So we do have customers in the RC community that do use our, our power pack products as well as our batteries to charge essentially other batteries as well. So yes. Outstanding. And if folks want to know more about your company and your products, where would they go? Uh, you can go to our website, uh, bioenopower.com. That's www.bioenopower.com. And also you can check out all the different resellers as well through the website as well. All right, Kevin, thanks again for your time. Really great to catch up. Appreciate it, Jeremy. We really appreciate the opportunity to be on Ham Radio 360. Thank you. Never before have we experienced such kindness as we have this year at Hamvention. I am standing here with our friends Joe McElhenney from airspy.us, the official U.S. distributor. Actually, you're more than U.S., aren't you? Yeah, we cover the entire Western Hemisphere as well as all U.S. addresses. So the Western Hemisphere distributor for AirSpy and all of their equipment, including the, the AirSpy R2, the AirSpy Mini, and the Spyverter. Uh, Joe, I can't thank you enough for letting us become your neighbors. I kept telling people you needed 1.1 booths. You had 0.9 of a booth left over, and you were very generous to let us move in. So thank you, and our listeners, thank you. Well, it's our pleasure to help. Uh... You, you said it exactly. We needed a little bit more than one booth, so we had to get two. We had space left over. You guys are great. Uh, it's our pleasure to help you out, and uh, I'm glad we could uh, work together. So, so we have. So, Joe, last year you guys were one of the first vendors I sought out because last year you had just released the Air Spy Mini, which is a small dongle, even smaller than the RTL SDR sells for around $100, and it gives you most of the performance of the full-size AirSpy, just the same, same receiver performance, just a little less bandwidth. They were super hot because nobody had them. You couldn't get them yet, and it was nice to actually get one of the first ones here. I've since Velcroed mine on the back of a little 8-inch Windows tablet that I picked up for nothing, and I use it as a portable listening station, and it is phenomenal. So what have you guys brought to Dayton this year? We've brought the same products, including... Uh one that we just released yesterday, and that's the Spyverter R2. The improvement is basically incremental on the Spyverter, except uh, the current was reduced by about 80%. Instead of uh, drawing 47 milliamps, it's down to 10 milliamp a draw, which is huge if uh, you're on a battery-type operation to save, eight, to save 80% of your current. So for those of you who may not be familiar with these, these are software-defined receiver dongles that run with a piece of software called SDR Sharp, available for free online. Tell folks, what does the Spyverter do? The, spy, well, the basic Air Spy covers 24 to 1800 megahertz. And what the Spyverter does is it takes that lower end of 24 down to virtually DC, or zero megahertz. So you can cover just about anything that you would ever want to listen to. So it basically gives you HF listening capabilities. Exactly. All right, so tell us what else you guys have here this year. Because last year you had a little bit more limited stock, but this time you brought pretty much everything you sell. Yeah, one thing I did want to mention on the Spyverter, another addition is a GPSDO input on the board. Uh, so that if you're really a nut as far as frequency accuracy goes, you can connect that to a GPS clock and have a frequency error on the 
you know, how many parts per trillion. And typical radios are measured in uh, parts per million. Uh, usually around 0.5 parts per million is uh, what you'd see. Uh, we are not only expected parts per million, but not parts per billion, but parts per trillion. That is hugely accurate. And if you want to be on frequency, that's the way to go. All right, so tell people what device would they need to do that. Uh, there, we have two devices that will support that. The uh, primary one we recommend is the Leo Bodner GPSDO or GPS Disciplined Oscillator. It has two outputs that both output 10 megahertz. Coincidentally, the AirSpy has a GPSDO input, 10 megahertz. The SpyVerter now has a GPSDO input, 10 megahertz. So one Leo Bodner unit will run both devices and uh, sync both to the frequency accuracy that I mentioned. So you just hook a GPS antenna up to that, it gets synchronized with the signal, and that's where you get your time source? Exactly. The GPS CO from Leo Bodner has a BNC output. We have cables that connect directly to the AirSpy R2 right now. Uh, the SpyVerter, for some reason, they did not bring that uh, input to the external case. We are looking at solutions that would uh, do that for our customers. All right. So what else do you guys have here this year? Uh, another item we have that uh, we just uh, introduced about not quite a year ago is a wideband preamp. Uh, while the uh, receivers are great, sometimes there's signals that are just a little bit too far down in the mud. And the preamp that we have is made by Upitronics. It covers uh, 0.1 to 4 gigahertz. In other words, 100 megahertz up to 4 gigahertz, which covers most of what the, uh, the SDRs receive. And it has 20 dB of gain. I've personally used this on signals that I just couldn't quite receive, connect up the preamp, and boom, solid copy. So how does it impact the noise floor? It will raise it a little bit, but again, uh, the, uh, the key is to just pick, bring in those signals that you can't quite pick up, to bring it up to the level that you would see on just about any other receiver sensitivity-wise. You do lose a little bit of your tight end specs, but uh, it's for people that are looking at a particular signal, not necessarily uh, at a, uh, a broad range. All right, so a couple of other things that I saw you guys carried, and actually I bought yesterday. For those of our listeners that remember the Baycon episode we did with Barrett K6BEZ, he did a presentation on using these SDR dongles combined with a wideband noise source and a directional coupler to basically give you some pretty powerful, but maybe not super precise, but good enough for ham usage test equipment. Tell us a little bit about those devices. Which do you want to know about first? The, the, uh, Pick one. <laughs> Pick one. Okay, the directional coupler. Uh, it's used, uh, you feed a uh, broadband noise source, which I guess I should have started with that, uh, into the one port, your device under the test in the second port, and the output port goes to your SDR receiver, which, which of course will give you a spectrum display. Uh, you can use that to determine the resonant frequency of an antenna. Uh, you can use that to tune duplexers. Uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be the equivalent of the high-end test equipment, but it gets you awful close. So other than that, there was one other thing I was really excited that you guys started carrying, and it's also a device designed by Leo Bodnar, and it's another time-related device. Tell us about the Leo NTP. Yeah, the Leo NTP, and I just found out the entire story uh, a few nights ago. The Leo NTP concept was thought up by Eupatronic's uh, lead guy, it was designed by Leo Bodner and is uh, produced or made 
by Ubitronics as well. So it's a joint effort between those two companies, which that's where the Leo in Leo NTP comes from. And what that device is, is a network clock. It's also GPS-based. Uh, it gives you the same fre uh, frequency accuracy, time accuracy on your network. And that basically stands as a Stratum 1 NTP server, correct? Yes. Awesome. So, uh, roughly, how much, uh, if you would go through some of your prices for, like, the, the, the AirSpy, the AirSpy Mini, the Spyverter? Uh, what our show prices are, and these prices include tax, which they're roughly the same as what our website prices are, only because the tax offsets the shipping cost. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's no free lunch. You, you have to deal with one or the other. But our show combo, which is the Spyverter R2, as well as the AirSpy R2, is $230.00. AirSpy alone is 180, AirSpy Mini is 110, and Spyverter alone is 53. And the big difference between the full-size Spyverter R2 and the AirSpy Mini is the bandwidth. What are the two bandwidths? The, uh, the AirSpy gives you up to 10 megahertz instantaneous bandwidth. The AirSpy Mini gives you up to 6 megahertz. Okay. Are there any other new and exciting things that you guys uh, maybe plan on bringing to the market that you can talk about? Yeah, uh, another item that we uh, introduced a month or two ago is a Raspberry Pi GPS module. It's also made by Upatronics, and it adds GPS capability to a Raspberry Pi, I believe it's only for the Plus models. Okay, do you know uh, if it outputs a uh, pulse per second pulse that the Pi could use for time synchronization? I do not know the entire specs. This is a relatively new product, and I we have so many new ones recently that I haven't had a chance to get familiar with all the uh, details on our new products. But the, but the details are on the website. All right, Joe, I want to thank you again so much for the hospitality. Really appreciate it. There are actually people that are uh, starting to get interested in picking up your stuff, so I'm going to stop bothering you and let you get back to work. Thank you. Okay, uh, two other things I would like to mention. Uh, we're really proud to uh, now carry the Remtronics antennas, which for 800 megahertz, uh, that is the antenna to use on a, uh, on a scanner or a software-defined receiver or anything. So we're really uh, happy that we were able to pick those up. And another uh, new item we just got uh, a little over a week ago are GPS antennas, both uh, little magnetic pucks as well as station antennas. And, of course, that goes with the GPS products that we're selling. And if folks wanted to know more about you, where would they go online? Uh, our name is our URL, airspy.us. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. So we were here again early, about 6 o'clock, third vendor in. And I'm standing here with a gentleman that we met this morning who was one of the fourth vendors in. And that is James Wades, WB8SIW, from Radio Relay International. James, hello. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. What do you think of Hamvention this year compared to years past in Hera? Well, it is different. Uh, it's... Uh uh, I haven't been in the flea market, uh, so only speaking for the inside exhibits, I think it's been, considering the first run, well run, uh, uh, generally enjoyed it, a lot of nice people. Uh, there's a few bugs to work out, but I think the Hamvention folks will work hard to do that for next year, and overall I'm impressed. They put a lot of work into planning this. Outstanding. So James, tell us a little bit about what Radio Relay International is and what they do. Well, Radio Relay International is a... Uh, both a nationwide as well as, you might say, worldwide uh, messaging service. I think uh, probably many of your listeners have heard of a uh, national traffic system. 
and the uh, methods of pushing radiograms around. Well, we essentially take the uh, built radio relay international out of the assets of the national traffic system. Uh, so, uh, but what we want to do, or what we have been doing, is injecting new ideas and new approaches and engaging in a level of modernization, you might say. Uh, the purpose of the modernization is to, of course, make it more relevant uh, and to better serve uh, you know, our customers, if you will, which would be not just the amateur radio community, but uh, served agencies, uh, NGOs, uh, you know, government agencies such as it might be FEMA or relief agencies, things of this nature. And so if a ham were interested in participating, what would they do? Well, uh, of course, uh, at the most basic level, there's often uh, state and local traffic nets. And uh, that will appear somewhat transparent from, you know, the former organization. Uh, and many of uh, those nets are actually still run by, for example, ARRL uh, and so forth, uh, ARIES groups and the like. Uh, and uh, we also uh, and uh, essentially... Uh, get involved in you know traffic nets and, and things of this nature, uh, ARIES programs, MCOM groups, OXCOM. And uh, the idea really is to uh, learn how to communicate, say, for example, on a radio telephone net, uh, learn how to communicate in a radio telegraph net. We also have a digital traffic network in which uh, one can participate. Uh, it's a fully automated uh, uh, nationwide digital network with connections to uh, Asia, Oceania, uh, the UK, European Union, etc. And so if you have, say, for example, a basic pack door one or better modem, uh, you can uh, register as a DTS and get involved in providing communications and connectivity to your local area uh, to handle traffic and so forth. And once you kind of get a feel for the, uh, the net procedures and how things work, uh, then uh, perhaps participate in some of our uh, dis upcoming disaster exercises. So I have a few friends speaking specifically about national traffic nets that shortly after they got their license, long-distance ham friends ended up sending them messages that ultimately went through a series of radio relays and resulted in a ham taking that message and actually going to their house and dropping something off. Um, if somebody was interested in trying to find out if there are nets like that going on in their area, is there a centralized location they can go look and see? Well, I would recommend you start with our webpage, which is www.radio-relay.org. Um, we have a limited net directory available there. Um, if you send a simple email to us via the webpage, we will locate a net in your area, several options in which you can participate, uh, learn how the process works. And I think the important thing to remember is that the reason we handle these kind of routine radiogram-type messages is to exercise the system and to train the operators. So a mistake a lot of radio amateurs make is they confuse the importance of the message okay, with the value of the net. But regardless of the importance of the message, the process of exercising the net, learning the process, understanding the procedures, etc., prepares one to handle important message traffic in time of emergency. So I would encourage you, for example, uh, if you uh, have a particularly enjoyable QSO, send a radiogram to that person thanking him for the enjoyable QSO. If you want to establish a schedule with another radio amateur, uh, go ahead and send him a radiogram. Uh, these are things you can do to exercise the system, learn the procedures, and then maybe at some point in the future uh, you'll find yourself originating a, a, a situational awareness report on the, uh, to a served agency or something of that nature via our networks. Outstanding. Well, James, thank you so much for your time. Have a great hamvention. Thank you so much. You too.
Bob Greenberg, W2CYK, has been well-known for a long time as providing the R-Finder repeater information, the apps. They are now the official app of the ARRL for the ARRL's application. And what was it? It was a year, two years ago, you guys kind of blew everybody's minds by releasing a brand-new class of radio device. Yeah, actually, uh, it was in uh, November uh, that we released uh, the, uh, the R-Finder H1. All right, and tell us about that radio. Well, it's an Android-based uh, HT. It's actually a cell phone and an HT all built into one. And uh, that unit had a 6,000 milliamp hour battery, was a 400 megahertz uh, DMR uh, unit, and uh, the DMR and FM. All right, and that unit uh, has been upgraded since then to the M1, correct? That's correct. Uh, it's the M1 now. It's slightly smaller, 5,200 milliamp hour, but all of them get uh, controlled by the R-Finder repeater directory app. And so the beauty of this is, is whether you're on analog or DMR, you don't have to know anything about programming. You launch the app, you touch what you want to talk to, and it automatically changes the tuning. That's actually correct. Um, you know, one of the Achilles heels of DMR is the code plug, and we've... Uh, we were asked to fix the code plug problem last May, and we spent the last year fixing it. And we were actually uh, were able to do it in November. And you know, we're on our now second level of uh, second uh, release of hardware, and uh, it's going pretty well. People are excited about it. Now, are these M1s? Are they dual band or still mono banders? They're still mono banders. All right. I'm assuming the UHF model is the more popular. Way more popular. All right, and the other thing that I see here at your all's booth is a beautiful-looking tablet that has a UHF antenna on the top of it. Tell us about that. Yeah, this actual, the, the unit that you're looking at here is actually a 7-inch hardened uh, Android tablet. It has a cell phone in it. It also does uh, Internet, of course. And uh, it's a full-blown Android tablet, the way you would expect. And it has a, uh, this particular one has an analog VHF module in it, but we can put a variety of modules into it. In fact, we're coming out with a new unit that'll have uh, the ability to have uh, two different band modules in it. So we'll have a VHF and a UHF in the same unit. And now, do those modules control whether or not it can do DMR versus analog? The modules, depending on the module you choose, you'll be able to choose an analog with or without DMR, basically, or a, a VHF with or without DMR or UHF with or without DMR. Most people take the DMR modules so they can just use it wherever. And in the future, you could have both bands in one device. On the, on the P model, we're, uh, we're targeting uh, by the full to have uh, two modules in the same device. All right, so what is this unit called, this tablet? It's called a P, it's called a P1. All right, and if you could, give us an idea. If I were going to buy these online outside of Dayton, how much would the P1 and the M1 run? The M1 runs uh, $699, and the P1 runs uh, uh, $899. And what's interesting is uh, Jason from Ham Radio 2.0 is running around with one of the original H1s, and I've actually... Oh, he's sorry, he's got an M1, and I've actually watched him make phone calls on it, and I've never seen another Ham Radio that can make phone calls. That's right. We tell people, if you buy an HT today, you get a free cell phone. <laughs> now, is there a two-year plan i got to sign up for that? Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, no, the, uh, you pick your plan. Uh, we've tested so far in the U.S., AT&T and T-Mobile on normal monthly plans. It doesn't work 
um, on uh, on uh, like prepaid, but it'll work on monthly plans just fine. We've also tested it out of the country, and um, I've stuck chips in in, in uh, Italy and Spain and Germany and England and France, and uh, it just works. All right, so when I look at the big banner you have for the M1, I see FM, DMR, and more to come. What is more to come? Well, let's just say you and I would both be very surprised if you didn't see System Fusion and D-Star as a software update at some point in the future. And that's kind of the cool thing, right? Because it is a software-based radio platform. There's a lot of opportunities for upgrading. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, one of the other cool things is that when you get one of our devices, you become part of the design team. Uh, Many times our, our users come to us with ideas and we just say, oh, yeah, it's a great idea, and we just add it to the device. Now, because it is completely software-based, is there an opportunity if somebody were interested in doing some work themselves to, say, develop uh, an AX25 soft modem and put APRS in one of the VHF models? Well, it's a very, very good question, and I'm glad you asked it, because APRS Droid is already working on that. Um, we're, uh, uh, I think we're doing an NDA this week, and then he's going to start porting, um, not porting, but connecting his... Moda, his uh, uh, his TNC software into uh, our uh, transmit module. That's really cool, and there could potentially be other opportunities in the future. I would, I'm going to throw an idea out, even though I'm not a customer. But could you potentially someday actually see a hotspot in here? Well, you and I would both be very surprised if at some point the radio is the hotspot. You wouldn't be surprised someday if the radio was the hotspot. That sounds awesome. Now, as far as going forward in some of these features, are you guys, are they going to be free upgrades for customers for whatever might come, or might some of them be paid upgrades? That's a good question. Um, uh, Fusion, uh, we're doing it as a software license, so that'll be a, a paid upgrade. Same thing with D-Star, it'll be a software license uh, with the... the, the, the we're part- hey, the next guy! We're partnering with uh, the experts in the industry that are already doing this. We're not trying to reinvent something. So they're going to port their stuff into ours, and we'll pay them software licenses. So there'll be upgrade charges for each. There'll be one-time charge upgrades, um, you know, uh, uh, for, um, you know, for Fusion and for, you know, for D-Star and stuff like that. So basically, kind of like unlocking the feature. Now, exactly, like an, in, like an in-app purchase, pretty much. Now, on your radios for the, uh, the vocoders, the Ambi, is that done in DSP, or do you actually have Ambi 3000 chips in there? No, we have Ambi 3000 chips in it. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners about your products? Well, uh, just um, I just want to thank everybody for your support. i got to tell you that... You know, this this was a brainchild, and it's all happened and been able to happen because users have believed in us and uh, and you know and and supported us by purchasing our products as time went on, and it gave us the ability to bring this to to light and 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 the ideas. You know, this is really a collaboration. A lot of people bring us ideas, and um, you know, it's a great opportunity. It's a great, a lot of fun to uh, to work with everybody and and bring everybody's ideas to, uh, to a real product. So Now, I know you guys obviously still have the R-Finder apps available for mobile devices. I know that's built into these. If I buy this device, do I basically get the lifetime updates, or am I still setting, signing up for a subscription? No, there's still a subscription. Um, 
So you just get the subscription, and the subscription, of course, works across all devices that you own. So if you have it on your iPhone, for instance, the same email and password works in these devices just fine. All right, so buy once, use many. Yep. All right, if our listeners wanted to find you after Dayton and get more information about your products, where would they go online? Uh, You can go to androiddmr.com is a great place to go. Uh, Subscribe at rfinder.net is another great place to go. Um, Or inside the apps, just install the app, and if you send a support email, I get it. So uh, uh, that's another great place to go, too. But um, w2cyk at rfinder.net is my direct. And in the app, uh, you you even get access to my phone. You can call me anytime. So... Uh, we try to be as accessible as possible to our end users. We're on Skype as Bob of the Deep, no spaces. And um, that's about it. All right, well, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. Have a great hamvention. Thank you, Jeremy. Enjoy the rest of the show. And 73s, everybody. So I managed to finally find Jerry Wanger of Connect Systems. I've been looking for you for two days, and it's good to see that you guys are here. Welcome to Hamvention. Uh, thanks. It's an interesting uh, place this year. So what do you think compared to Hera? I like Hera better. I like the fact that it's air-conditioned inside. Well, maybe next year you guys will luck out and get inside, because you are out in, quote-unquote, Building 6. So I just uh, ran into you, and you just handed me a CS7000 to hold in my hand. Yeah, that's the real hardware. It's based upon a Kerosene DP770 uh, radio uh, it has, uh, right now, it already has DMR and analog, and uh, we're working on the D-Star. Uh, biggest problem we have right now is getting the uh, a D-Star vocoder and encoder to work, and once that's solved, uh, we probably will get a working radio within uh, 30 days after that. Outstanding. And because you're using an existing hardware platform, that should help speed your time to market? Yeah, that's the, uh, the reason. It's uh, the DP770 has what's called an L138 microprocessor, which is a combination of a DSP processor and a high-end ARM processor. Uh, between the two processors, it runs about 4 billion instructions, floating-point instructions per second. So one of the things, if you could, for our listeners who haven't been following along with the CS7000 since you announced it in the DSTAR form, let them know what that is. The uh, 7000 is a multi-protocol radio. It's going to start out with D-Star, DMR, and Analog. Later, we'll add Fusion, NXDN, and P25. Outstanding. Now, I also understand you have some other new products that are coming out. There was an announcement about a new mobile radio? Yeah, correct. Uh, We just uh, announced the uh, dual-band mobile radio. Uh, About uh, 12 hours after we announced it, we sold out our first batch, which is 70. We'll have another batch of 100 coming in uh, in about... uh, 45 days from now, and uh, we're starting to take, uh, well, asking people to email to jury at connectsystem.com and put in the subject line uh, CS800D, and we'll put you on a waiting list. All right, and to be clear, that is both an analog and a DMR radio. Uh, Correct, and it uh, covers the uh, 136 through 174 and and 400 through 470 megahertz. And that's something else. You have a lot of customers who are commercial. Uh, correct. And this was designed as a commercial radio. And uh, we'll get uh, Part 90 approved eventually. Now, one of the things that you had here last year was the update to your venerable CS750, 
available as a 2 meter or 440 uh, DMR radio. Last year you announced the 760, which had an upgraded color screen and some other new features. What's the status on that? Uh, we had some problems at the beginning, and we basically stopped selling it for about, uh, a, a, anyway, a few months. And uh, we resolved all of the known problems, and we think we'll start selling it again in about uh, June. Okay, that sounds good. Anything else on the horizon that our listeners would want to know about, as though that's not enough? Uh, we're starting to sell some uh, HF radios. We're selling a special version of what's called the, of the Zygu X10AG. We call it the CS10AG. It's their hardware with the modification to make the audio better, and we added a spectrum analyzer and an ID timer. So for that particular radio, what are the bands and what's the power output? Uh, power output is 20 across all the bands and uh, covers all bands between 160 and 10 meters. So basically a little bit more than QRP radio. Roughly, what's the current draw and receive and transmit? Uh, the current draw and receive is about 450 milliamps, and uh, the transmitter, while I can't give you the actual numbers, it's about uh, 60% efficient. It's class AB amplifier, so whatever that comes out to, uh, and you can figure out the actual current drain based upon the power out. Now, do those have internal batteries? Uh, no. What about an internal antenna tuner? Uh, not for that radio. Okay. And uh, overall, I mean, it's actually a fairly small radio, but the display is nice and bright. Uh, yes, it'll actually work outside. This radio is designed to be uh, taken in a backpack and used on the outside. Awesome. I actually, going back to the 7000, one question that just came to mind. You mentioned that you're using a combination DSP with some type of an ARM Cortex. Are you guys implementing the Ambi Codex in software by licensing, or you guys actually have hardware Ambi chips in there? Okay, uh, the answer is uh, yes to both. <laughs> well, I actually didn't say both. Uh, he actually said three things. Uh, DMR... Uh, DMR, NXDN, P25, and Fusion is by licensing. The D-Star uh, is out of patents, and uh, we found somebody who's already written some code, and we're trying to get that code to work. And uh, so that would be by uh, neither licensing or actual uh, hardware chip. So there, is there a 3000 in there, an Ambi 3000? Uh, no. The problem with the 3000 is that it takes too much current, and... Uh, it just doesn't work real good in a radio. Outstanding. So very excited to see you here and uh, the updates on the projects or the products. One last thing I'd like to ask you about is you guys released last year another small DMR handheld to compete in the, the increasingly crowded roughly $100 DMR handheld market with like the TYT MD380, etc. Tell us about that radio because I think it's a good place to start for people who want to start with DMR. It's, yeah, we call it the CS580. And the purpose of that radio covered two problems that we've found from selling these other DMR radios. First is that people can't make code plugs themselves because they don't understand the technology. So uh, we make it so you just put in a frequency, you turn to a channel, uh, somebody is transmitting, it picks it up, it decodes what's necessary, you press the lock key and you speak back and forth. Uh, also, somebody who knows a little bit more about DMR, you can put all the parameters in manually from a single screen. Uh, never have to use a computer, which is the uh, major problem with a lot of people trying to get these things to work. Now for this radio, I will point out, you are the only radio on the market 
that has the scanning and key up to capture capability. Every other radio needs programming or needs to be hooked to a computer first to enable front panel programming. And something like the MD380 doesn't even let you do front panel programming for digital work. Uh, exactly. So uh, we, we found from experience that uh, a lot of people just can't get their computers to work. So, uh, you know, you don't have to for this. Now, if you want to, you could make a code plug and put it in like any other radio, but it's not necessary. So for that radio, you guys have the software available to program it, and then you guys are the ones who are writing the firmware for it, correct? Well, we help the manufacturer, you know, tell them how to do it. But uh, basically, uh, you know, they did the actual coding. We told them exactly what the coding's supposed to do. And uh, that particular radio was selling for uh, 130 for the radio and $10 for the programming cable if you need a programming cable. Now, out of curiosity, will a standard like Baofeng uh, or, or Wuxon USB to serial TTL cable work? Uh, no, it uses a custom cable. The uh, connector itself is like a small Motorola 6550 uh, connector. Okay, so not that Kenwood-style two-pin monstrosity. Uh, no, the, those types, the types we have are a little bit more reliable. Uh, and it be it's, it makes the radio a little bit more weatherproof. So going back to the 580, when it was released, I know there was a lot of really positive uh, talk about it. There were a few small uh, issues with the firmware. How frequently are they writing firmware updates? Uh, we haven't had any problems, so uh, the answer is we haven't been writing any firmware updates. Okay, sounds good. Well, if people want to know more about your products, where would they go online? Uh, they just go to our website at uh, connectsystems.com. Or they can call me uh, directly and I'll answer any questions. And that's uh, 818-889-0503. One of the few people who will actually give out their number to, to our audience. Jerry, thank you so much for taking this time with us. We're really excited to see the products. Have a great invention. Uh, thank you. And glad to see you. Standing here by our booth. And who walks in but Gordo WB6NOA from Ham Nation. How are you doing, Gordo? Well, we're fine. Today's Saturday, and what a great convention. It has been definitely better than I think we expected. Well, I was hoping for the best, and they turned it out. Traffic's a little uh, uh, heavy getting here, but once you're here, wow, all the buildings, all the swap, 100% success. So what have you been uh, out looking around at since you've been here? Oh, I do the swap meet, and uh, there's not huge mud piles out there. The grass is still green, and the swappers are out there, so I enjoy just looking at the old rigs and the new rigs. Anything you're going home with? Uh, yes, uh, and that's less money. <laughs> that's a good thing for the economy, right? So uh, what all are you guys doing today here at Hamvention? Well, we have our Ham Nation uh, podcast um, uh, what happens behind the scenes seminar this morning and then this afternoon I talk all about teaching uh, teachers new skills of teaching kids in ham radio. Well Gordo real quickly I know you guys have the 300 special event coming up why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well after uh, 299 uh, uh, ham nations we're now going to 300 we're going to be on the air uh, we have prizes we give points out we'll be on digital sideband uh, atv mesh network uh, we'll be on so many different bands all of the hosts and all of our valued net controllers now gordo we have a lot of listeners who aren't yet hams what would you tell them 
uh, that are not yet hams, explore ham radio. Go to the ARRL website or the Gordon West Radio School website and look at all of the training materials available. Most important, find a fellow ham that will sort of put you under his or her wing or even the kids under their wing, and uh, you'll make a great ham radio operator. Not that hard to get the license passed. All right, Gordon, thank you so much for your time. You guys have a great hamvention, and have a safe trip home. Well, thank you. And again, Dara has really rolled out all the stops and makes Dayton happen. 73 all. Good morning, Saturday morning here at the Dayton Hamvention in Xenia, Ohio, standing here with Jack Gerbs, vice chair of this event, which... That's a big job. It is a true honor to be able to do this. It's Obviously, there's a lot of vendor, uh, volunteers here, and it's a passion of ours. We love ham radio, and this is our way of paying back. So Jack has been very special to us since we got here on Thursday because, as we mentioned last night, uh, Jack and the staff here have worked tirelessly to make sure everything's gone right. The level of attention that we got as a relatively small and new vendor was amazing. You've been very helpful, and we're very appreciative of that. So overall, things seemed to go really go yesterday. Tell us, what are some of the things that went really well? Some of the things that went really well, we've got food vendors that are just phenomenal this year. There's 17 food vendors, and we brought in food trucks. The food at the other places you know was less than stellar. The facilities are relatively new. We got people moved in. The vendors were great to work with. We have a volunteer staff of 600 people. They all knew their job. When they got here, they just got to work. And our goal is to put on a five-star event, and I think we did it this year. I would agree. Now, are there any things that maybe happened that you weren't planning for that we know that we need to take care of next year? There were a few little things, like the little issue you had with a little mudslide in your booth, but we've got great people that were able to get on it right away. The surrounding community, the county, the city, the state highway patrol were, was even involved in this. So we knew we were going to have challenges. We had people on standby to deal with them. We weren't sure what they were. But one thing about being in Greene County, they're very creative people. So what are some of the things that we've learned that we're going to do differently next year? Well, obviously, there's some parking issues. And bigger than parking is the actual traffic flow. We worked with a professional traffic engineer this year who was extremely instrumental in getting it as good as we have it. There's lessons learned. Uh, The tents, the tents were a little bit of a challenge this year. We need to step our game up on that. And we're working with the county on some things I can't share right now, but very excited uh, when we pull these when we pull these projects off. No, and, and overall, like I said, I think everything is coming to go there very well. I thought it was very telling that in the beginning there were a lot of volunteers running around trying to make sure things were good. By the afternoon, they were gone. Everybody was just having a good time. So I know you're working this. This is a big deal for you. But what are what is your favorite thing about Hamvention? Me personally, my what I love about Hamvention is the flea market. I'm a ham radio operator. I love to play with radios. I have a passion for old Heathkit radios, tube radios, and fixing them up. I'm also, I love QRP, so I'm always looking for some gadgets to play with to get on the air. Unfortunately, this year, as Vice General Chair, I have a lot of obligations, and yesterday I was only able to spend 45 minutes in the flea market, so I'm hoping if today goes well, I'll get a little more time in the flea market. So will you be back in this role again next year? Absolutely. Next year, 2018, we're going to have even a greater show. 
I will be here 2019-2020. I should be general chair. So I want to sincerely thank you from our podcast and our listeners. You guys have done a phenomenal job. The things that have been issues have been minor issues. And I can't tell you, this feels like a good home for us. Thank you for the kind comments. And I am, I can't tell you how excited I am. And yesterday, the night before, I didn't sleep very well. Just so much going on. Yesterday, I slept great. And at 930, I was standing in the center of the field here just watching people on both sides and that's when I knew we had a hit. So can you share with us any preliminary numbers what the estimated attendance was yesterday? I don't have a clue. Today's going to be bigger. I'm going to guess yesterday we might have had 10,000, 12,000 people. I'm expecting to weigh double that today. All right, Jack, thank you so much again for all the help and spending time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Once again, I am standing here with Gus Van Doren. PE1 PLM, the inventor, manufacturer, and founder of DV Mega. We bought some of your boards last year, the dual-band hotspots uh, that are made for going on Raspberry Pis. Later, we picked up Blue Stacks running Blue DV, and it is some of the most fun I have had in amateur radio over the last year, especially with the proliferation of inexpensive DMR radios. I was able to actually reconnect with some old friends on the East Coast through uh, D-Star using it to get some of those repeaters. It has been an amazing product. It is so good to see you again this year. Thank you, uh, Jeremy. Um, Yeah, this year is different from uh, from the years before. It's the fourth time uh, I'm visiting uh, Dayton now and the second year with my own booth. Uh, last year, as you said, uh, BlueStack and BlueDV, uh, uh, we took them on board. And now I'm here with, uh, with uh, David, PA7LIM, and Ruth, P1MSZ, to, uh, to be here with the whole DV Mega family. So before we get into that, why don't we talk about the products that you guys have now. Give us an overview of what they are and what they do. Okay, from uh, actually the beginning on, we have the dual band radio shield for um, uh, uh, Arduino Uno Arduino Mega. Uh, we have implemented the digital modus DMR and Fusion uh, last year. So, actually, the, the, the hardware which you bought from day one is still compatible with, with the firmware we have re- released recently. Uh, of course, the, the, the good old uh, uh, GMSK uh, shield for D Star. Um, we have the MB3000 Shield, where we uh, 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 make new products for now, but I come uh, back to that later. Uh, BlueStack and the uh, software BlueDV, which is uh, compatible with uh, Android, iOS, uh, Linux, Windows. Yeah. So for those who don't know, explain what the BlueStack is and what it does. Uh, the BlueStack is an adapter, you have to see, the DV Mega uh, hotspot radio is designed to play, be placed on top of the Raspberry Pi. So it has a little pin connector uh, to, to fit the GPIO connector of the Raspberry Pi. Uh, Ruth made a uh, small carrier board uh, where you can uh, fit the DV Mega on. That carrier board has a connection for USB, which is also the power connector. And it has a Bluetooth uh, adapter. There is a switch on the side where you can switch between USB and Bluetooth. So if you switch to USB, you can use it on a standard host, still a Raspberry or a PC with MDVM host or BlueDV. And if you switch to um, um, Bluetooth, then you can use it together with the BlueDV Android or iOS. So that means that the host runs on your Android uh, device, your tablet or your phone. 
and and it makes connection via Wi-Fi or uh, uh, 4G. And then you have a very compact mobile solution. So you put your phone in your pocket and the blue stack stack with DV Mega is only 4 by 5 by 3 centimeters. And it actually is really amazing. I went camping earlier this year where we had actually a fairly good cell service, but there was no actual internet connection. I took the blue stack and the blue DV and an Android tablet, and I was able to leave that set up in the building. And while I was out sitting by the campfire, I was able to have conversations and DMR and DSTAR, and it was a lot of fun. Now, when I look at your booth, I'm seeing something that I've never seen before. It's black, and it kind of looks like a radio. It's, it's uh, something new, actually new. Last year I showed a display with the MB3000, a next-gen display, and that time I called the multi-mode direct voice device. That means you, 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 uh, we, we know the DV dongle uh, uh, solutions where you, you, you connect a, a, a MB3000 to your PC and use the PC speaker and mic uh, uh, as a sort of radio. Uh, what I did, my MB has also uh, uh, audio on board, so that means it's not only a, 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 a vocoder, uh, I can also enter analog audio. So, um, the configuration is that, that you have a, a, a access to the reflectors, DMAR, D-STAR, and Fusion, where I have to say that uh, I'm, I'm working on Fusion now, but D-STAR and DMR is operation now and uh, you can you can uh, uh, say I, I, I like to talk on reflector or sorry on, on talk group 204 you don't have to program code plugs or whatsoever you enter simply 204 on an action display press your PTT and you're there um, now we have developed already, but, but we are going into production phase, a, a, a box which looks, of course, like a, like a radio, where the next-gen screen is in the front on a horizontal uh, uh, orientation. Uh, the speaker is also on the front, and it has, of course, a, a mic. Um, you connect it via Wi-Fi or um, wired to your network, and you're speaking to all the, with all three modes to all available uh, networks at the moment, including the new XLX. You can use a device also in your car because you can connect it to your phone as a, when you switch your phone to a hotspot function. Now, out of curiosity, are there any RF components in there at all that I could use that as an appliance still as a hotspot if I'm in my house and have a radio, or is that just the ambi and the voice over IP? At this moment, it's only, uh, uh, call it voice over IP, but we are going to extend it with the possibility to use your standard DV Mega in that unit and switch it to a hotspot, yes. And again, for all three modes then. And uh, we are thinking about uh, NXDN and P25 for the future, but first we want to have uh, finished this product. Uh, yeah, in, in addition, I have to say that it's, again, it's based on Arduino Mega, MB3000, if you bought an MB3000 one, two years ago, you still can use it. We do not change components we have sold. Or we go to a complete other solution. But the, the new product for now uh, uh, is, is compatible, compatible with all com components uh, sold in the past. All right, so any of the digital voice Ambi products you have, it sounds like you have your own custom software for those. You don't need other applications? That's right. 
And then the DV Mega, the actual the hotspot boards that are more just the digital modems, they're compatible with MMDVM. They're compatible with the BlueDV software that was developed for the BlueStack, which again is available on Windows, Android. Is that available on Linux as well? That's available on Linux as well. It is uh, an, uh, an uh, image available for the Raspberry Pi. And uh, David has an, a separate page for the Linux version, yes. Basically everything but an iPhone. It's, uh, it's, uh, the, the approval for the App Store is on the way. We have to say that it supports uh, DMR and Fusion at the moment, and we are still working on DSTAR. Okay, very good. So is there anything else? I know you've got this new product launching. What are you keeping your eye towards in the future? That is the MyDV Handy. Uh, see the project, the, the MyDV Cast, is a black box, the, the virtual radio, internet radio, uh, like some people uh, wish to call it. We say it's, it's the MyDV Cast, that's the name we gave it. Um, the next step is the MyDV Handy. That means that we are, that is no longer based on Arduino Mega, on the current MB board. You get a real handheld radio with a Nexion screen in the front with embedded host. That means that you uh, no longer need a Raspberry, a, a PC or a phone whatsoever. The host is running in the handheld radio. So you connect via Wi-Fi, for the, but then it's, it's no longer uh, 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 data sharing on modem level, but on internet level, direct connect to a, a, a talk group or a reflector. So would that also have an RF radio beyond just Wi-Fi in it as well to act as a regular handy talkie? We have spoken about that, but we are not sure at the moment. Well, right now it doesn't exist, so it could have any feature we want, right? <laughs> uh, we, we, we take care for that provision. We, we, we keep it in mind. It's not really the focus, and, and that's also always with new products. You have an idea, and, and you think about how a product should la uh, look and what the functions you, you wish to put in. Uh, and, and, and then you get the, uh, uh, proposals, questions, uh, and it's, it's always dangerous to, to... You have to listen to everyone, but if you try to put in everything... Yeah, f feature creep kills things. So as I understand it, the Ambi products that you have, the host, and when I say host, I mean the physical board that would actually take the Ambi board, is basically an Arduino Mega. It's a standard uh, Arduino Mega, yes. What's actually really interesting about that is here in the U.S., there are several companies, of course, that have cloned it because it's open source. I have a retailer local to me that I can buy Megas still for $5. That's no problem. Uh, we have tests with, with, with several brands and, and, and copies, if you like, uh, and they all are all okay. And the best part is, is that is small enough that you could, if you wanted to, build a little box for it, mount it all in, and almost have an IP radio. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, I'm looking here at the model you have here. How does it get connected to, the, where's the internet link happen? The internet link is happened on uh, the peripheral where your host software is, uh, is, is running. That can be a PC uh, uh, the, and, and that can be uh, a Raspberry Pi. And that's connected by a USB. 
by USB port, standard USB port of the Arduino Mega. Okay, so basically the Arduino Mega via USB into another computer, and then it's doing serial back and forth, and then host software such as MMDVM will take the voice traffic and connect to the networks. Exactly. So you could even use something like a little Raspberry Pi Zero W, which just added wireless and is very small. Yeah, that's true. If, if, if MDVM host or BlueDV uh, runs on, on, on other device and, and the device has a serial port, a USB port, but it's serial over USB, then it, uh, it's okay. So when I'm thinking of the Ambi product, you actually just made me realize that technically, with the Ambi product, if it interfaces with a Raspberry Pi, you could take that, put one of the new Raspberry Pi Zero Ws on the back of it, these screens are relatively small. Somebody could actually build something that's like a little miniature radio now themselves using your products. Yeah, exactly. That's true. And, and, and that is why we do not uh, make the, 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 the MyDV cast available as a real, no, as a, as a, as a finished product, but it's a kit. Actually, uh, when you, you, you go to order the product, you see a sort of shopping list. And if you have already an action screen, Raspberry Pi, Arduino Mega, or whatsoever, don't don't take. You can reuse it. So it's 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 a kit. And if you have the parts and do not like the case, you can make your own case and make it as small as you like. Outstanding. Well, thank you very much for helping people get into digital voice modes, helping them add hotspots and capability to their house. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for supporting the community, and thank you for spending time with us. If people want to know more about your products, where do they go online? Then uh, they go to www.dvmega.aurea.nl, and I spell Aurea, it's A-U-R-I-A, and there you can find links to uh, BlueDV, to uh, Combitronics, uh, 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 BlueStack. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much. No thanks. You're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to the Ham Radio 360 podcast. Brought to you by Main Trading Company, Paris, Texas. And by Elecraft.com. Hands-on Ham Radio. To learn more about the show, visit our website, hamradio360.com. 73s, y'all.